the time this two-hour hearing is over, you can add 16 more people to your death list. God gives a damn about miniature donkeys, Colin. I fear he doesn't. And I fear that's where it's all done wrong. We're trapped in a world that's trouble with pain. But as long as a man has the strength to dream, he can redeem his soul. He took everything away from me. Rekka Cooney taught me so much. Useless alone. We're all useless alone. On the earth, we all have like a ton of soulmates. How many soulmates? For you, like four. How many do you have? Like 1,200. <laughs> of course, I'm into peace. No, sorry, I'm a real war person. Actually, I sign all my personal letters. War. Let the battle begin, Marcel. What is Nazi? If you mention Thomas Tank Engine in one more time, I'ma shoot you in the fucking face. Your dad and I agreed it would be best if you just stop being who you are and doing the things you love. I will give you crowns in heaven. And laurels on earth, but it'll tear your heart out and leave you lonely. You'll be a shanda for your loved ones, an exile in the desert, a gypsy. No one in this room is an artist, okay? You don't just get to be an artist! And I got the cab driver to bring me up by giving him a blowjob. So that's how I entered the art world. You listen to me. You're Nick fucking! Whoa! Whoa, Cage! Maddie doesn't need a struggling artist for a father. She needs you to be a star. You tell him! Nick Cage, smooch is good! What happens to an artist when he loses his purpose? It's pitiful. A child born in 50 years will stumble across your image flickering on a screen and feel he knows you. Like, like a friend. Though you've breathed your last before he breathed his first. You'll spend eternity with angels and ghosts. Because now, my friends, now is the time to conduct music that actually requires something of you. Now what about Beethoven? You into him? I don't give a feck about Mozart. Or Borvolvin, or any of them funny damn feckers. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love drops a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. A podcast takes a lot of work.
okay? You have to organize the guests, you have to do a Google Calendar, and then you build a following. It takes a long fucking time, and I've been working on it for a while. Okay? podcast where we discuss all things movies past present occasionally future my name is sammy chester and i'm john gilpatrick and we are here today to kick off bum, bum, bracket bum. to decide the best movie of 2022 sammy it's not only john and myself we also have dozens of listener clips naming their dozens. favorite movies dozens it's no, we're amazing not gonna drop all we're not going to drop all dozen right away. Plus, we have four special guests to help us break any ties that may come up in the four corners of the bracket. With us today was our first guest when we recorded in 2022, so totally coming full circle. I asked him how he wanted to be introduced, and he said Zach's brother is fine. I say Zach should be introduced as Aaron Brooks's brother. Aaron, how are you? I uh, do not support that statement, but uh, I'm doing well. Uh, glad to be uh, starting out this uh, bracket with you guys. Aaron, you and Zach have expanded your brotherhood in the past year. No, you guys have the one podcast. Yeah, we expanded it, but then it quickly got canceled because Netflix will be Netflix. Uh, but we do have the first and only season of 1899, which turned uh. into a... A mini series <laughs> with lots of theories that will never go answered. So that's fun. I have theories that probably also won't be fully answered in terms of movies that weren't canceled. What do you guys see as major themes? John and I kicked a few back, I think, in our December episode. Class definitely is something that always kind of will show up in film. So I don't know if it's specifically this year or not. Specifically class and just how different levels of people deal with common problems we all dealt with being stuck in the same spot for multiple years. I feel Class, like that kind of like had... the have and have nots, like the, yeah, the exactly. menu. Yeah, or even with like Kimmy, a very obvious one that came from COVID. Batman yes. hit us over the head with it very, very strongly, yes. have and have nots. I think that there was like a very meta thread in the movie going culture of the haves and have nots, if you will, of these massive hits and blockbuster movies monopolizing a lot of studio movie making and then these micro budget things and like the middle class if you will being crushed under the weight of streaming only for the most part between avatar and top gun maverick in particular dominating the box office sort of historic ways both of them not many other movies breaking through and, and having more you know still like kind of pandemic era last year this time we had sort of made the case that to the extent there was any sort of talk around the kool-aid movies of 2021 it seemed to be a Netflix movie with big stars. A lot of those Netflix movies didn't become talking movies of this year. This year did produce old-timey, in-theater extravaganzas. So, you know, I think the, the big movies of this year are certainly the two you mentioned, and neither one of those is a Netflix-only type uh, release. John, were you also suggesting in how you frame that artist as the young man? And it's not only coming of age of a future artist, a future director, yeah. but I think artist as a young man is also sort of Pinocchio. 
It's also Tar. And then obviously it's, you know, the Fablemans and Armageddon Time and Funny Pages and several others. I think all of that is just people who are so inspired by Roma. There's like a lagging indicator effect of something that's super popular and other people saying, well, like, I want to do that. Especially when it's something that was as personal as Roma and then bleeding into the dumb Irish movie that I hated from last yeah. year. To an extent, it's sort of like, oh, like, we can do that. You're uh, not waiting but... for Scorsese's growing up movie, even though I guess we've he's had got enough of that movies. throughout. Yeah, come on. It's yeah. mom made pasta. I thought there was a lot of stop motion adult animation. Pinocchio, we mentioned Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Mad God by Phil Tippett, Henry Selick and Jordan Peele's Wendell and Wilde, mm. the horror anthology The House. John, you're saying those take a while to sort of bake. Stop motion takes a while to make. They always just are very striking because you can kind of feel the investment in how the movie was put together on screen. Wes Anderson's dabbled in that space mm -hmm. a few times. I felt a lot of the movies this year were just weird, particularly in the first half. <laughs> I mean, everything, everywhere, all at once, the Nick Cage movie, the, yeah. the movie about the shell who walks around and talks in a squeaky voice, after Yang, The Northman, Mad God, Babylon, Tom Hanks, basically anytime he came on screen. There's just a lot of like, weird jazz uh, you know <laughs> for a while it seemed like almost any movie that we talk about was going to be kind of like really this but this is like mainstream movie entertainment more early i'm not really like thinking that a lot of the stuff we caught up with toward the end of the year was especially weird it sort of speaks to what i was saying before like a lot of this like mid-budget fair like a24 studios it's like it's not like humongous budget but it's also not micro budget independent movie making either more in the middle and that stuff is getting more offbeat than it used to be it was used to be like fairly middle brown not so much anymore maybe kind of feel that we're living in this interesting period of movie releases where because there's such a wild west of streaming and there's so many different channels and therefore sort of different sources of money there's even an opportunity to sort of make a wider range of movies than maybe they'll be in like five years time Aaron can I share one last theme of the year inspired by you joining us to start off this bracket of course it's animal themed last year john and i discussed how pigs were dominating we had mitchell's in the machine we had a movie called gunda the nick cage movie called pig this year though we have a head-to-head -head that i suggest start off the bracket in one corner we have the large aquatic mammal belonging to the order thetasia represented in movies like pinocchio avatar the way of water the movie the whale in the other corner we have the equus asanus the domestic ass belonging to the Quadi family Represented by movies like The Banshees in a Sherlin, Triangle of Sadness, and even Winnie the Pooh-esque reference in terms of a movie that's coming up later in the bracket called Eel. Okay. Aaron, you're oh, the animal man. expert, whale versus donkey. As much as my dog's trying to become the answer here <laughs> uh, multiple times, both have been very iconic at different times. We've had Shrek with donkey, right? One of the Star Trek movies had the whales. Oh, um, yes. I don't, I don't want to tip off my hand too much here but i'm gonna just say without going too far into detail one way or another donkey is my answer i think you have a specific one perhaps in mind and it's kicking okay, off the bracket half a second before we do your 33rd favorite of the year the movie that didn't make the bracket mine is mad god that we already mentioned my favorite that didn't make the bracket is senior which is the uh, robert downey senior slash junior documentary gotta be after sun for me a24 stan as we all know before we go any farther, let's hear from our friends, Zach and Brendan at the Movie Ladder Podcast. Hello, there will be Pod Nation. It's Zach. And Brendan. From the Movie Ladder Podcast. And we are here to ride for some movies, 
uh, and make our picks. Brendan, speaking of writing for some movies, we just watched a movie about some cowboys. Literally just finished an hour ago recording our podcast on Once Upon a Time in the West, the Sergio Leone classic. Uh, had a lot of fun recording that. Uh, epic movie probably would have been a contender for the There Will Be Pod bracket for 1968. I uh, would hope it would win 1968, but I don't know what else. Came I don't know. Out. I mean, it would would have been up against 2001: A Space Odyssey uh, in the finals, point. so probably would have lost. Yeah, would have been a tough one. But let's talk about the 2022 movie bracket. Brendan, what movie are you riding with? What's your favorite movie from this year? I went and saw Banshees of Inisherin, and it is and remains my favorite movie of 2022. Fantastic performances by the two leads in Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson, expertly directed by Martin McDonough. So really hoping that she's going to Sheeran does well in the There Will Be Pod tournament. I mean, it's one of the number one seeds. It's the number one seed, actually, looking at it. So look at you with the front runner. You're like picking Duke to win the NCAA What can I say? Uh, chalk pick kind of guy. Well, I think from last year's bracket, the number one seeds all got knocked out very quickly. So you might have <laughs> just cursed it to a death of 3,000 years of longing. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. uh, my number one movie of the year did not even make the bracket. And I should be oh, boycotting man. this bracket. Yeah, it's The Northman. I had so much fun at the theater. It was like going to a rock concert, the drumming and like the I loved uh, yeah. excitement. And, you know, I love the lore of the. Yeah, yes, I think it, The Northman was probably my favorite surprise movie of the year that I Nordic had lore. no expectations for going in. So, yeah. Nordic lore was the word I was looking for. It sounded extra, extra dumb. I ride for the Northmen. Unfortunately, there will be pod did not ride for the Northmen. If I had to pick my favorite from this, it's probably Top Gun Maverick or RRR. Uh, mm-hmm. Both really fun. Uh, what do you think is going to win, Brendan? Do you think Banshee's Insurance is going to win? Uh, no, I think it probably is going to end up going to something like Everything Everywhere All at Once. That Ooh, okay. It's going to be really hard to beat in this bracket looking at it. It's going to get very, very far. I would not be yeah. surprised if it takes the whole thing. My pick to win is RRR. So maybe we get an RRR, E-E-A-O, A-A-O finals matchup. <laughs> People also check out O-U-A-T-I. Once Upon a Time in the West on the Movie Letter Podcast this week. Yes, check it out. And good luck with the rest of the bracket, guys. See ya. Zach and Brendan certainly weren't holding back. Let's see which of their favorites and predictions comes true. Our seeds were made by average ranking of critics. So that's where mm-hmm. the seeding is coming up. It's not John and myself. We decided who got in. We didn't decide uh, the ranking, so to speak. Uh, we're going to go with all of our guests, including Aaron, through all three rounds. So we'll do the first two rounds back to back. All that said, John, Aaron, are you ready to go? Bracketeering. Yes, let's go. Beautiful. So we're going to kick off the bracket this year with our number one overall seed. We talked about it just an episode or two ago, and it's the Banshees of Inishirin. Dramatic comedy, existential crisis movie set on the Aran Islands, written and directed by Martin McDonough and starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Barry Keogh, and Carrie Condon. And it is going up against the number 32 seed, which is 3,000 Years of Longing, much-awaited George Miller follow-up to Mad Max Fury Road, starring Idris Elba, Tilda Swinton. Elba plays a djinn released from a magic lamp and tells his story to a woman who uh, doesn't have much by way of human connections. One section of this bracket has like some of my favorite movies of the year and this one easily for me the strongest portion of the bracket banshees of inisherin and three thousand years along me are in my top 10 movies of the year it is hard for me to not move banshees of inisherin onto the next round I, I do think i prefer the movie and i think it's definitely more of a movie of 2022 maybe three thousand years along it will get discovered down the road i hope it does but banshees of inisherin is here and it's now 
Donkey was my favorite part of Banshees in this year, and actually. Okay. It's a feel-bad movie versus a feel-good movie here. 3,000 <laughs> Years of Longing, directed by George Miller. Yeah. We had a George Miller movie this year, and nobody cares. It's like last year when we got a Paul Verhoeven incredible movie, and no one yeah. cares about Older filmmakers at the top of their game, and 3,000 Years of Longing should be moving on here while right now banshees is getting all the love i think in five years people are going to be talking about in bruches again they're not going to be talking about banshees and i'm going to give the feel good movie an edge here it's just being completely ignored and it's kind of sad tilda swinton was great in it obviously mm -hmm. idris elba as the genie Aaron, i gotta one. jump in and keep the feel bad vibes going Banshees gets my easy vote i'm going to join with john here i actually don't think that Idris Elba or Tilda Swinton are sort of given any favors by the way the movie is set up. I don't feel that they have any chemistry between them. Pair that to the chemistry I felt between the brother and sister in Banshees, between, of course, the two friends, between the two bartenders, the policeman and his son can sort of see the complicated emotions there. Core chemistry of 3,000 years didn't work for me. I love this idea that sort of a wish from a genie or a djinn can only be your deepest desire and otherwise it doesn't really work. I agree with you, John. I think, you know, 3,000 years will have to be discovered in the years to come, but it shouldn't be discovered in next round of the, the bracket. So uh, Banshees is my easy vote. Banshees of Inishirin is going to move on to the next round. In the 16 versus 17 matchup, we have two movies from the first half of 2022 when we did our best movies of the first half of the year episode, Sammy, that these really were sort of by 1A and 1B of Kimmy. Our number 16 film is the uh, Steven Soderbergh starring uh, Zoe Kravitz about tech and listening and some of the uh, implications of that. And finally, uh, as I mentioned, the Batman number 17 starring Robert Pattinson and directed by Matt Reeves. You didn't mention comparison between these two movies. They have a similar actress, no? Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, of course. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Catwoman. I always like 16 versus 17. In theory, it should be the tightest matchup. And the fact that for you, you know, these are two of your favorites, John, is even better. Kimmy is a bit of a Batman character herself. She's sort of an avenging angel. You know, she uses advanced technology. She does a bit of detecting herself from her Batcave before she emerges to wreck vengeance on, on the sinners. To me, both of these have bad endings. Kimmy, I love the world that Soderbergh had created. And then the whole finale just felt really rushed. My vote, I think, is going to go for Batman. The stuff before the ending has some really, really fun scenes. Some of the music is great. The I bad agree, guys, yeah. Colin Farrell is really fun. There's a few really nice set pieces. Of course, that driving scene in the rain with the fire. I think that's one of those scenes I remember from the year. I have Kimmy ranked actually higher, but I do think in this matchup, Batman kind of gets my edge. Kimmy is like the third movie in the conversation, Enemy of the State trilogy. The Batman definitely takes this one. This is a tough matchup for Kimmy. There's one movie <laughs> Kimmy would have beat. The rest of them, Kimmy's not beating. Go with Catwoman. I really liked all the performances. I can't wait for the Penguin series coming up with Colin Farrell. This is probably my favorite or second favorite Batman movie ever. I would have voted for Kimmy personally. To me, it was a, a better overall movie. So the Batman is going to face the Banshees of Inishirin in the second round. It was foretold. It is Colin Farrell versus Colin Farrell. Isn't mm -hmm. the actor playing the Joker Barry in Keoghan. Batman? Yeah, and like the extra bleed. They just need to squeeze Brendan Gleeson in there. Aaron, is this feel bad versus feel bad? Pretty much. Um, <laughs> yeah, neither one's like a super upbeat movie if anything banshees is a little brighter from a color perspective if i'm going off initial leaving of the theater the batman moves on here but i mean i have kind of cooled on it similarly to you where i don't really go back and think about the batman and i'll give the banshee this i do go back and think about it quite often i guess i'll begrudgingly 
which is fitting for the Banshees, put Banshees into it. <laughs> Fair enough, Sammy. Where are you going with this uh, second round matchup? One of the things I really like about the Banshees, the movie gives you enough breadcrumbs to suggest it's an allegory about friendship as a metaphor for human conflict compared to the Irish Civil War a few times. But it stays an eccentric, intimate story on a small island between you know two men. And it doesn't push the allegorizing. And I think that's a really, really tough balance. I feel this movie does it 95% perfectly, and I give it a lot of credit. So for me, it's an easy vote for Banshees. Banshees is going to move on 3 0. I think that's our first clean sweep of the bracket. So there you go. Back to the first round play in between the menu and Triangle of Sadness. Palm Door winning dramatic comedy again by uh, director Ruben Ostland. And that is going to face our first audio clip of the bracket so far. Hey, this is Brewboss Sean from Cinema Chop Shop. Thanks for inviting us to once again participate in the top movie bracket. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that my pick for the best movie of the year is going to be The Menu. While on the surface, it just appears to be a movie that kind of pokes fun at the celebrity chef phenomenon that we've experienced in the last 20 or so years. Beneath the surface, I think that you'll find that uh, the film is a very clever retelling of the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory story. Obviously, I love that the Burger <laughs> is equivalent to the everlasting gobstopper that Charlie Bucket returns at the end of the film, thus softening the heart of Willy Wonka and opening the doors to him owning the chocolate factory. Think of the uh, sous chefs and the and the cooks in the kitchen as the Oompa Loompas. You see Anya Taylor-Joy go into uh, Ray Fine's office, and he's sitting at a typewriter, which was kind of an antiquated thing. And then it made me realize there's a clock ticking in the background. If you recall, in the Gene Wilder version of the story, that is a mirror image of the uh, shot where Charlie Bucket goes into Willy Wonka's office at the end. John Leguizamo's character is clearly Mike TV. Uh, Nicholas Hulk could easily be Augustus Gloop, or he could be Violet Beauregard. All-consuming, gotta be there, fear of missing out. When you look at the film in that kind of regard, it takes on a new meaning, and I think for that reason it should have some consideration as one of the better movies of 2022. If you want to check us out, we're at uh, Cinema Chop Shop on practically every social media channel. Give us a listen. Aaron, right. John, had you guys made that comparison between the menu and Charlie <laughs> and the Chocolate Factory? I had not. <laughs> I had not with somebody over the weekend who said that it was uh, very reminiscent of the Harry Potter movies, which I did not follow whatsoever besides Ray Fiennes being on them. Everybody's finding something in the menu that's special to them. And you know what? That's totally fine with me because I'm going to kick things off here in the play in between the menu and Triangle of Sadness. I think the menu wins hands down. This for me is one of my favorite movies of the year as well for nothing to do with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Harry Potter or any other popular franchise. Really enjoyed watching it, recommending it to basically everybody uh, except for the especially squeamish, I guess. If Ruben Oslin has another movie with a shape in the title that you should put your hat on him winning the Palm Door because it would be a three for three. And these movies initially are the same story, right? Rich, arrogant people on a boat. For like five minutes, at least in the one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was the worst use of a donkey this year for me. I don't want to reveal my animal allegiances as an animal business owner, but I really love both these movies. Triangle of Sadness, the anti-Banshees of Inishirin. You were talking about how little Banshees was working with and did so much with that. Triangle of Sadness, kind of the opposite, not subtle at all. Mm -hmm. uh, makes its point and then makes its point 10 times over. I can't believe this movie won the Palme d'Or, though. The menu, 
also great. I grew up idolizing the Food Network till I didn't. And so it's kind of funny <laughs> to look back on it now. It's fun to hear theories like the obvious Charlie and the Chocolate Factory theory that I just heard. I've heard a ton of theories on this movie. That's kind of one of the great things about it. You can sit back and watch it and just enjoy it. Or you can kind of dig deeper into it, make your own assumptions. Some feel it's really about art. Some feel it's about food. Some feel it's about class. I'd love to make an argument for trying a little sadness, but I think it would fall on deaf ears. I do think the menu is a little bit better. So there was a scene that got a lot of love in triangle of rich people throwing up on a boat and to me that was like 90s crude little boy humor and i didn't feel the movie was anywhere near as sophisticated as it seemed to think it was so awesome so it's unanimous for the menu over triangle of sadness to become officially the number 24 movie in the bracket where it will meet up with glass onion john before we dive into glass onion we do have a late breaking listener audio from a first-time contributor my own sister Haley chester I nominate Glass Onion, very of the moment to me. So after some challenging years, we'll say, it's a lighthearted movie. Actors that are very known in funny roles. You know, it obviously has some murder and some dark underpinnings, but easy to watch, no commitments. You don't have to be in the mood. You can just enjoy it, have a glass of champagne, that kind of vibes. Totally agree with Haley that Glass Onion is this compulsively watchable movie I like the menu like probably the two movies I'm like recommending to the most people this year just because I think like it's hard to watch it and just not like at least passively enjoy yourself if I had to choose one of the two it's for sure the menu it sort of surprised me more I think allegory was a little bit you know more obtuse like you said it can be about a lot of things glass onion was a little bit more pointed and maybe not entirely successful in that as Sammy and I discussed on that episode but the menu for me is going to go through the next round. So unlike Triangle of Sadness, everyone gets on the boat, but they get off the boat pretty quickly and they get to an island and all the rich people can enjoy themselves there. What I like the most about Glass Onion, because I have a lot of issues, as we you and I discussed together, Daniel Craig to me is just so fun, particularly to spend so much time with. We're giving up with him with James Bond. I think it was ready for him to put that down, but enjoy Daniel Craig so much in these that I'm happy to sort of take him through. I do hope they give him a few different narratives and plots to work with and it isn't sort of simply a, a knives out on repeat. I really liked a lot that Glass Onion really doubled down on the Daniel Craigness of it all. There's more in the menu and I think the menu kind of strings us along in a much more interesting way even though as I told you I thought the ending of the menu was obvious. Glass Onion I had a better time with I think. I'm gonna give a very mild vote to Glass Onion and turn it over to Aaron to decide. It's not close for me. Glass Onion I was very buying on. Benoit Blanc Definitely the best part of the movie. The costumes were really great too. It's fun to turn on and clean your house and just like look up and kind of see the colorfulness of the movie. To me, the menu is just so much more my flavor, so much more my style, made me laugh. Uh, Hong Chow, not talked about great. enough this year, just mm -hmm. for an entire year was great. I don't think this is even close and they kind of tread on similar types of themes at times too. I think the menu does it better also. To the extent they're tr both trying to sort of say the same thing, I think mm -hmm. the menu actually says it really well. That's a really good point. So the menu is going to move on to the second round where it will face the winner of our number eight versus number 25 matchup, which is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio versus Avatar The Way of Water. So this is the big father versus son standoff. John, you mentioned that Avatar was, you know, the biggest or one of the biggest movies of the year. Apparently Pinocchio is the second to most common published story in history. 
after the Bible. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that does surprise me when you put it like that. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> and there's there's definitely I think a, particularly in the original version, which this story maybe is a bit closer to than the Disney. He does have a lot of Jesus-like themes. There's no shortage of Jesus missing in either of these two movies. You obviously have the father, the son in Pinocchio. A lot of Christian themes, very very heavy, particularly in the first half of the movie and in Avatar. The Signori Weaver, who, you know, is born from sort of an immaculate conception and can sort of speak to the divine. The sacrifices of the Holy Son of Jesus, of Pinocchio, that he has to make and in order literally to come back to life several times. So no shortage of going to be a Jesus complex for the director or in the characters in the two stories. Father-son is better in Pinocchio. For all the characters are much more memorable in Pinocchio. The reason I'm gonna ultimately vote for Pinocchio, because I think Avatar really is an animated movie at the end of the day. I was much more one of rich and creative and fascinating animation and animation choices of Pinocchio than the celebrated use of animation underwater in Avatar. So strong vote for Pinocchio for me. The easiest vote so far, Pinocchio. <laughs> By a mile. Avatar 2 is fine. Looks really nice. Don't really remember much of the themes at all. I remember Spider for the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> Pinocchio moved me to tears multiple times. I'm going to make it three for Pinocchio over Avatar 2, although I think I'm highest on Avatar 2 of the three of us. That is going to move on now to face off with the menu, the menu just consistently surprised me, whereas Pinocchio, I thought was really lovely retelling of a familiar story. So for me, it's definitely going to be the menu that moves on. You know, I guess Pinocchio and Avatar was a whale versus whale match up there. But since Pinocchio, for me, the songs are forgettable. The moment they came on screen, I was just like, are we really doing this again? Menu doesn't choose to sing, but it sings all the same. And to me, it gets my vote. Yeah, menu wins. We do have our final eight matchup here with the Banshees of Inishirin facing off against the menu. But before we get to that, uh, we have a, another listener clip. Hey, this is that. <laughs> that was the cat. My favorite movie of the year was Compartment 6. The movie is about a woman who takes a train ride through the Arctic. That she's not even sure that she wants to be there. On the train, she meets a man unexpectedly. They connect. And I like the themes that the movie brings up about human connection and sense of belonging. That was Tete, my wife calling out compartment number six russian language movie came out at the top of the year we saw it together i also really liked it in fact i think it's in my top 20 but compartment number six as john said did not actually make the now we're at the banshees of inishirin versus the menu i kind of feel the vibe in the in the dining hall <laughs> of where things yeah. are going and so so i'll say this say the cinematography there's all these little scenes i noticed this on my second watch in terms of people's faces and mirrors through windows reflections the use of light in the morning through windows Do you know who we remember for how nice they was in the 17th century who absolutely no one yeah we all remember the music at the time everyone to a man knows mozart's name i don't so there goes that theory I don't know if I'm making my last stand for Banshees or not, but uh, <laughs> the theme here is something that myself and my younger brother have argued about quite a lot in terms of the context of what we're looking for in a marriage partner. And he would always tell me that what he needs is someone that will fuel his interest in the arts, someone that will sort of motivate him toward creative pursuits to consuming more culture, movies, books, what have you. And I told him that for me, it's very different. For me, I prioritize someone that is a very generous person. Someone that doesn't consider the word kind a put down. Someone that really prioritizes interpersonal relationships and the importance toward them. That thematic divide, while perhaps like very simplistic, to me kind of gets at the root of what living is. I've never really felt it communicated as starkly through such great performances on screen 
as Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell do with uh, Martin McDonagh's uh, script in this movie. And therefore, Banshees really sticks at me. I think it's something very thoughtful. I think the movie really works on multiple levels. You know, I'm not someone who likes to go for favorites. I'm someone who usually likes the underdog. So I find myself in a weird position championing the number one ranked and seeded movie all three rounds so far. I'm going to go again with the Banshees over a movie I admire with the menu. But to me, the menu ultimately is sort of uh, airplane fiction. It's kind of fun. It's poppy. But it's not something that I'll think about in a year's time. That was very deep. I really liked the menu when uh, Tyler made his bullshit. So I'm going to put that through <laughs> and quickly pass it over to Aaron to sort of break the tie. It was a beautiful speech, Sammy. Like, it really, really was. Full of fire, like the house at the end. Both of these movies kind of crescendo with the yeah, flames. Yeah, exactly. the All these yeah. parallels, yeah. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm the tiebreaker now. You're being a little disingenuous there with the airplane food. I think this is much more cruise line type of affair. Every character in the menu is just great watching the demise of these very unlikable people older married couple uh, yeah. love both those actors so much in anything they show up in and regulars who expect to be treated better some customers expect different treatment than others uh, i also really appreciate that from their perspective yeah it's the menu easily and i will be revisiting the menu not just on airplane this was a mashup between my number two and my number three movies of the year. This time I went with a movie that I think is just slightly preferable versus the as much as I love the Banshees, I'm happy to see the menu get through to the final four. Aaron, before you leave us, what are you most excited for with movies in 2023? What's the one title that you're saying I'm already waiting in line? I'd say Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, actually. Wow. I'm not much of an MCU guy, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is my favorite MCU by far. I sobbed in that movie. I really do like James Gunn. Well, I heard A24 is a co-producer behind that, so it is... <laughs> good, good. It does align with the famous Brooks brother. Thank you for having me on. Welcome back, guys. We are in the top right corner, if you're keeping track on your bracket. Marcel the Shell, corner of the bracket, as you can call it. And we have a very special guest joining us. Grace, welcome to There Will Be Pod. And maybe you could tell our listeners why you like talking movies with uh, two people that you don't yet quite know. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I host uh, Recaps Theater, which is part of the Post Show Recaps uh, Network, started in about 2021 as sort of like movie theaters were back opening and we I think the first movie pod we did was triple header of jungle cruise the green knight and pig those mm. a special place in my heart <laughs> those movies and i think last year was a really good movie year i think 2023 will be fun as well but but 2022 was, was really good so yeah i'm excited to be here and thanks for having me thanks for joining Let's see what makes it to the final four starting the corner with two movies that take place nearly entirely inside a single house, with both characters <laughs> in either movie obsessed with social media, we have number two, Marcel the Shell with shoes on, versus number 31, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Marcel is a pseudo-documentary about a shoe-wearing, talking mollusk named Marcel. It's directed, written, and stars Dean Fleischer Camp, as I suppose the documentarian in the movie, and Jenny Slate, voice of Marcel. Marcel is a bit of animation in the context of otherwise a, a real-life movie. And it's going up against Bodies, 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 which is about how on a dark and stormy night at a remote mansion, a group of annoying and rich 20-somethings play a murder mystery game that becomes a real murder mystery. It's directed by a Dutch actress in her first English language uh, movie called Helena Rijs. 
and it stars Amanda Stenberg from The Hate You Give, Rachel Sennett from Shiva Baby last year, Pete Davidson, and Maria Bakalova from Borat 2. Two movies that you might not have seen coming for each other. Both A24 movies, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I thought it had a really good take on sort of like the younger generation culture and social media while also getting to play into this like horror movie uh, design as, as you're stuck in this house together. But Marcel, the show she's on is maybe the cutest movie of 2022. And Marcel <laughs> doesn't have quite the ensemble cast. It's so good. It's very up my alley in terms of its like style of humor. The scene where he's uh, commenting on peace and love, sign off their thing. And he's just like commenting on just Marcel figuring out the world is just exactly the movie I want. To live. I want to spend so much time in the Marcel universe. So, John, let you be the tiebreaker on this because I'm going to go with bodies and, and set us up for the mm. first tiebreaker. My issues with Marcel and plot about getting onto 60 minutes to me is very bland. <laughs> the finding the lost family a bit more interesting but even that is very drawn out i felt like it just kind of hits that too much i agree with you the sort of the sides of marcel peace and love and all that in war are the funnest parts at some point to me at least it's very very twee humor hitting you with that same kind of humor over 90 minutes and then with bodies it is all about the ending the ending makes the entire movie you watch for the last hour and a half have so much more meaning so that's why i'm going with bodies it is about as long as it possibly could be without becoming something that's not successful anymore but i'm gonna put marcel through i was a big fan of those uh youtube shorts i guess if you want to call them when they came out like 10 years ago I was not expecting to do a feature-length visit with uh, that character, but I was happy to. To me, the humor works the whole time. It is very similar, though, but there's also the scene where he's like repeatedly throwing up on the map as they're driving around. The innocence of Marcel and then trying to find his family. If I see a movie now, I'm like 90 minutes. Like, that's amazing. How, how did you do that? How did you not yeah. like, get extended longer? Totally works, I think. Getting to just hang out with Marcel the shell. I will push back on, on the, the plot being boring in the sense that there's also this background story. Director being like part of the movie and as Marcel's son, Bloor, like, you asked me all these questions but can I ask you questions about like why you are <laughs> doing this thing while you're living in this Airbnb and not that Bodies 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 isn't I do I do think it was very good but I, I want to hang out with Marcel the show with shoes on no one wants to hang out with the, the people in Bodies 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 That's you know true. except for maybe Rachel said it and her, her podcast mm -hmm. enthusiasm there were a lot of movies that kind of felt similar this year that I thought were more successful than Bodies 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 ultimately it kind of ends up feeling a little bit forgettable even if Marcel is like a little bit drawn out for 80 some minute movie still like is like one of one in terms of movies like it this year, which makes it stand out to me. Next up, we have movies that are criticizing contemporary social life, and they also show the impact of losing a sibling, a sibling's death. That's number 15, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed versus number 18, Athena. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is a documentary directed by Laura Poitras. It's about the life of New York-based artist Nan Golden, her family life, her artistic career, and her activism in the last few years against the Sackler family's role in the opioid epidemic. It's going up against Athena, one of two French-language movies in this bracket. Athena is about the choice of three brothers as their community of poor North African immigrants in Paris rises up in revolt against the police after their youngest brother is killed by the cops. Directed by Romain Gavras, co-written by, I'm definitely going to mispronounce this name, Laj Lai, a French North African who directed Les Mis, the 2021 Oscar-nominated movie that came out last year that talked about the relations between police and North Africans in a poor Paris neighborhood. So certainly the team behind Athena know what they're talking about. All the beauty in the bloodshed, Athena, 1518. Grace, where are you going on this one? 
Athena is one of the few movies I hadn't seen before you had reached out about the bracket. I was really blown away by Athena. I think it's like visually very compelling. It's very this like emotionally rich story. People kept hyping up all the beauty and the bloodshed. And so when I watched it, I think I came away a little bit underwhelmed with the documentary because people had hyped it up so much as sort of like perhaps a front runner in terms of what was going to uh, win best documentary. Still a very powerful movie. It obviously, you know, as a transfer, it speaks to me about like LGBT uh, subculture. Athena, criticism is about that, like the story is a little weak. I thought the story was like as simple as it needed to be for like mm -hmm. this sort of like epic movie and and it worked really well and i did not see some of the mm -hmm. the way it sort of flowed along so i actually think i'm gonna vote for athena i almost want to kick it back to you and sort of see if you can like spare me the decision similar to you john to me this is one of the closest matchups i saw all the beauty in the bloodshed just last week so sort of the most recent movies i've seen Same. all the beauty in the bloodshed while i was watching it the scenes with the victims confronting the Sacklers, which I have seen in another documentary because there's been about four documentaries about the Crusades yeah. against the Opoids and the Sacklers in the last few years. Victims confronting the Sacklers, who are this ultra-wealthy family that basically hoisted the Opoid epidemic on American society, I guess global society. That scene hit me really hard while watching it, but it's the, the memory and the lessons of Nan's parents and her sister, the impact they had on her life, which I keep coming back to and I've been the complicated relationship Nan has, particularly with her mother, you'd sort of been building up in the back of your mind as this sort of terrible figure who sort of ruined her children's life and, you know, led her eldest daughter to suicide. And in fact, as you sort of see from how the movie tells the story and some of the on-camera footage, her parents were human. They were people that were prepared perhaps to be parents. They didn't really know how to love. They didn't really know how to care for, you know, two complicated daughters. But they weren't the sort of monsters that the movie's a very one note agenda on the Sacklers. You know, the Sacklers are set up to be, as far as we know, these terrible monsters. But it even kind of complicates that a bit where you realize, well, if the mother of Nan isn't really as archetypical villain as you may have thought, to me, Nan Golden, the artist who, frankly, there's been documentaries about her as well that have been made over the years. As Grace mm. said, she's such an interesting figure. It's the relationship between her and her parents that really got to me. That said, I'm voting for Athena as well, John. So you were right to take <laughs> it to me and I'm making it easy for you. Mm. I don't understand the sort of conventional wisdom that Athena has a great opening scene and the rest of the movie sort of falls flat and is forgettable. The kinetic imagery throughout Athena even in the middle, like every time there's these confrontations with the police and the way it builds and the music and the camera and the way that like strobe lights or likewise, Grace, I wasn't expecting sort of some of the changes between the brothers to sort of take place. I think the characters might be a bit undercooked, but maybe we'll see how that works out for it in the next round. I was happy that I didn't need to, you know, make that tough decision. I really like both of these movies quite a bit. I almost had an opposite experience as Grace did, where I saw Athena after Sammy, you had really talked it up when you had caught up with it. It's like, you have to catch this. Obviously really liked it, but I did feel a little bit like maybe my expectations were too high. I think I caught it at a part of the year where like I hadn't seen anything I was like really jazzed about. And so I was just dying to see a movie that really knocked my socks off and it didn't quite get there. It holds up really well. All of you in the Bloodshot is really new to me, but I think overall Athena just probably has more going for it cinematically, which is why I lean very slightly in that direction. Okay, so it's clean sweep. We're going to go straight to round two to do the matchup. Marcel Deschel, who has shoes on still, going up against Athena. I'll start it off here and keep it clean. Marcel is a movie I like a lot. Don't get me wrong. I think it's mm -hmm. right beneath Mad God. 
in my ranking of animated movies this year. I'm going to go with Athena. It's funny, John, what you said. I stumbled into Athena because it was on Netflix and it was sort of the thing Netflix was recommending to me. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I, met, I saw this as a new release. I'll try it out. And I was sort of blown away. I think it's a movie that would have been amazing in theaters. Mm. I was blown away regardless. Oh, I feel bad that I'm going to vote for Marcel because I feel like I'm voting for like, <laughs> like against the movie that's about like police brutality and like racism. And or is rant. it? I mean, yeah. And then I'm like... You know what I love? That little shell. He's pretty cute. <laughs> you know what? Oh, this is tough. There's such different movies in terms of like what they're providing. One is rather uplifting and one is uh, pretty sad. I think I give my edge to Marcel. It's tough to be the little cute little shell who's hilarious for 90 minutes. I think what I said about Athena kind of holds true in this round too, which is it had such great cinematic qualities. Not to say Marcel doesn't, but I feel like it's like clearing a pretty low bar, whereas Athena is clearing a higher bar in terms of the scope of the achievement as impressive as Marcel is for you know pulling off something that engages you in such a, like a simple way Athena is firing on all cylinders and I'm going to put that through to the uh, next round Athena first off it's very accessible it's on Netflix as we mentioned mm -hmm. if people are intimidated by it being a French language film it's very much a visual movie themes and the power of the spoken word is almost communicated beyond even if you understand uh, the language they're speaking which I don't think is always French I think at some point maybe they're speaking uh, Arabic I don't think one is limited by the language hopefully too much if you want to catch up with Athena let's go to round one again Again, two movies that are ultimately about how women come to terms with sexual assault. That is number 10, Woman Talking, verse number 23, The Woman King. Glad that John and I don't have to discuss these two woman-centric movies by ourselves. Woman Talking. In contemporary times, in an Amish-like isolated religious community, women debate should they fight, flee, or do nothing in response to a legacy of sexual assault. It's directed by Sarah Polly. Polly. It stars the mortal Jesse Buckley, Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Ben Wishaw, and there's a few scenes of Frances McDormand, if you look really closely, but, uh, you know, I think that's one of the movie's mistakes, that they don't keep her in there. The Woman King, historical epic set in 19th century Africa about a war between two warring West African states and the Brazilian slave traders, directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, who's made a lot of great movies like Love and Basketball and a few duds like The Old Guard. It stars Viola Davis oh, and Shauna no. Lynch. <laughs> okay, well, we can we can talk about the old guard in a moment. Lashana Lynch, the new 007, joins Viola Davis. John Boyega from Star Wars is basically in the Ben Wishaw token male role. Though there's a really really hunky uh, Fiends brother, the nephew of the Fiends, but the love interest in Woman King is, is there as well. The star is a South African 20 year old actress that I at least had never heard of, Thuso Mabedu. Woman King, women talking. Grace, which way were you going on the story of women? So uh, <laughs> yeah, the Woman King I loved. I I'm really surprised to see it sort of get shut out a lot at yeah. the, as like an award season because it felt like it did both things of being like something that typically Academy would love while also being a blockbuster. Like it, they kind of were going to get to have both things. It's like maybe the second best blockbuster of the year for it being sort of this like big blockbuster. We don't see that a ton. Like all black women, like, you know, warrior unit. I thought it was like really good. The action pieces were really good. But it's up against here, like one of my favorite movies of last year. I did see this three times, twice where Sarah Polly was in the room and spoke after. So maybe oh, wow. I'm like extremely biased, <laughs> but I just thought that this movie, like it's almost like a play, but it just explores these big questions. Is this text at the beginning of the movie that talks about this is a work of female imagination. Love it. It felt like so timely uh, in a way that Athena, I think, does as well. I love the mechanism of like, you don't really realize it's from the, it's more modern than you would think until you uh, are like halfway through the movie and it's much more modern performance 
performance here are really, really great. You know, I'm going to give the edge to women talking, but I also love the woman king. So, man, we're having a lot of ties in this corner of the bracket because uh, <laughs> I'm going to go for woman king. What I think woman king does really well is that whole sort of concept of the mother-daughter and the role that sexual assault plays in the legacy of Viola Davis. I've on this podcast a number of times said how much Viola Davis doesn't work for me on screen. I thought she worked so well in Woman King. I mean, she really owns this movie. She shows a lot of vulnerability, but also a lot of strength. She's really good at showing strength, but she shows a lot of vulnerability. She's really, really good here. And, you know, I don't know, award season, whatever, but, you know, I thought Viola Davis really stood out. The mother-daughter tie at the heart of a film about a community of women who reject motherhood the movie doesn't even really lean into that enough. I didn't love The Woman King. The problem here, Grace, and I'm sorry, is that I really didn't connect whatsoever with women talking. I'm a sucker for Jesse Buckley. Most of the actresses here really work for me. Frances McDormand, anytime she shows up, is an all-timer for me. I think her not being used enough. I think she was a producer behind she the movie. Bought so the she, right, she bought the rights for the movie. Yeah. So she read the yeah. book and bought yeah. the rights for the movie. She got this thing made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's the yeah, same the thing she did there, with Nomadland. Different, because in Nomadland, she bought the rights and then, and you then know, I just find that she's so good on screen. The acting in the movie is good. I like the ideas they're working with and they're wrestling and they're communicating to us. And I think when John and I briefly discussed this, I had said, watch the movie just for the ideas. I don't find that the script works and it doesn't engage me. The delivery of the good acting somehow doesn't work either. Like I like all the actors involved and yet their delivery of the lines feels very, very stagey. I kept comparing it in my mind to One Night in Miami, which is a movie that is also clearly a stage script and yet never felt like it was stuck on a stage, never felt like this, the lines were being sort of fed in by, you know, a director off screen. And therefore, a woman talking just didn't work for me as a movie experience. And I'm going to go for Woman King. Both of these movies were among my most anticipated for the year. For Women Talking, it was Sarah Polly. I've just been such a huge fan of pretty much everything she's directed to date. Take This Waltz. I think I mentioned this when we talked about the movie. It was like one of my favorites of the last decade. The Woman King. I don't have the same relationship to Gina Prince-Bythewood's movies, although I did like The Old Guard. Love and Basketball is a classic. Beyond the Lights was also really, really good. For like Viola Davis to get this like really a super meaty role for her. And I think she's a really good actress, but I don't think she's always well served by some of the roles she's been given even the ones that she's been like critically acclaimed for i think the woman king has higher highs and lower lows than women talking does women talking is successful enough for me as like a complete piece of work that i'm gonna send it again this is another mashup i struggled with a little bit i liked both these films a lot almost may have had two all-black women fighting units go head-to-head -head against each other. Because the next uh, round one matchup to see who will play women talking, it's the blockbuster showdown. Number seven, Top Gun Maverick, MCU Juggernaut's number one featured movie of the year. Number 26, Black Panther 2. Top Gun, 30 years after the first movie, Tom Cruise is still pushing the envelope as an action star. So after breaking the speed barrier... He returns to the Top Gun Academy to do the Kessel Run and to blow up a Death Star. And it's directed by 2022's Spiderhead. Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, number 26. They have no Michael B. Jordan because his terrific character died in the last movie. And unfortunately, they have no Chadwick Boseman after his terrific uh, acting self tragically died in real life. So they still went ahead and made the movie. The director, Ryan Coogler, is back. The Wakanda crew, Latita Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Angela Bassett, Winston Duke. They're all still here, and they decide to go to war against Avatar, the Navi people. It, it was a weird choice. Um, I don't think they decided. But, uh, I think that it was brought yeah. to them. Black Panther 2 having like an all-women uh, military unit, that is directly based upon the real-life women unit that is portrayed in Women King. 
Or, or will Black Panther 2 go down like its fellow Black woman fighting unit? I loved Top Gun Maverick. Really enjoyed our episode we did on it where we talked to an actual Top Gun person. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to screw up his title. Black Panther 2, I'm not, not a huge MCU fan. I haven't been in general. So this one's pretty easy. I'm going to put through Top Gun Maverick. I have mm-hmm. kind of two questions for you. What is it about 2022 MCU movies making the plot about a pseudo good guy, the Scarlet Witch or Namor, the head of the Sea People, uh-huh. trying mm-hmm. to kill a minority teenage woman for dumb plot <laughs> reasons? Because I was stunned how it's like the same story as What's his name? Uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. What's the wizard from earlier in the year? I can't remember now. Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Both have sort of the same plot. So that's my first question to you. And my main question is this. Why doesn't Black Panther 2 work? Because I didn't really like the movie. And it has interesting themes about American military complex as a continuation mm-hmm. of like age-old colonial forces. It has the legacy, of course, of Chadwick Boseman's death, which I think it does a very good job of weaving into the movie. And then it has a main character, Shuni, the sister, who's wrestling with so many interesting themes. She's wrestling with the grief of her brother. She's wrestling with whether she wants to follow like the science of her academic calling or the spirituality mm-hmm. of her people. It's mm-hmm. legacy of the last two movies. I love how it sort of shows the last two Black Panthers, Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick, or sort of the two options she has so it seems to have a lot going for it and yet i came out of watching it so underwhelmed and i just don't understand why it has too much going on it's like it's like the marvelification of of everything it's trying to do so many different things first of all like honor chadwick boseman it's trying to set up shuri as being the new black panther by the end of the movie it's also trying to to talk about like minority groups like then end up like fighting each other instead of fighting like who they should be fighting, which, uh, what happens with, with Namor. They're also throwing this like uh, the Everett Ross storyline with from, I don't mean to say what's her name. Seinfeld. Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad. Philly Louis Dreyfus. Yeah. I just don't remember her character name. So they're trying to set that up in this movie. Also trying to set up an Ironheart TV show. Also having all these background characters like Hoye, who's like great, the full series. There's like a storyline there where she gets like kicked out. They're also trying to give us end up to Angela Bassett like have I named enough things this movie is trying to do I'm so tired like, now a lot uh, of whales yeah whales uh, and censors and all this stuff they're trying to do so much like send off Chadwick Boseman while also introducing new <laughs> Like another uh, T'Challa. There's like so much all in one movie. And if you just like stuck with like some of those things, I feel like you have them, you know, but that's not what Marvel does. They want everything because everything needs to then go. They need like another Black Panther. How's it going to be in the Avengers? And we also have a TV show and we want to try and win an Oscar for Angela Bassett. So they got to do all of things and it's too much. Whereas like what I love about Top Gun, Maverick specifically, I talk about this a lot where like sometimes I'm like, I want movies to think I'm dumber and sometimes I want them to think I'm smarter. And Top Gun <laughs> Maverick rides this line of telling you a million in times here's the thing we're going to do in this movie and they like pretend like it's not going to it's not going to work right it's like it's so dangerous we can't do it and somehow that's so like captivating the, the way like the whole thing we're and they're just over and over again they're like yep we got to fly through this thing we got to you know can't be too high can't be too low i think it's the best made blockbuster of the year whereas black panther were kind of forever i like it but it feels really overstepped they literally tell us over and over again don't think just do motto that he's trying to impart on them but also reminding us like 
don't think too much about this just yeah just, just watch go them do it. It. but they also just they know also all the beats that will happen you know just yeah, know yeah. all the things that will happen as they play because in the end of top gun he goes to him like why did you do that he's like you told me not to think and just do yeah. you know so which is really funny with that yeah. a bit. top gun is the clean sweep it goes right up against women talking and i'm voting for top gun to beat on women talking and to go into round three <laughs> women talking i think was, was one of my favorite movies a tough matchup. So i'm gonna vote for women talking hope i'm giving it a sympathy vote to avoid uh, a clean sweep i get that women talking is not for everybody and Top Gun Maverick certainly feels like it could be for anybody yeah. uh, Women Talking is such my type of movie which is just like slow like can be a million think pieces afterwards you can like talk a bunch of the stuff that comes up in Women Talking most of the conversations about Top Gun Maverick are like that's pretty cool huh you're like yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> great story about Top Gun Maverick I had watched it and the next day I went to go watch the Downton Abbey movie tiny little theater in the small town and all you could hear was the planes like rumbling <laughs> so oh, watching yeah. <laughs> the new Downton Abbey movie I'm gonna vote for Women Talking is my sentimental favorite from the year I think it's like asking these big questions, but I would not blame anybody for voting for Top Gun Maverick. I'm putting Top Gun Maverick through. It's funny. I watched this movie again with my wife at home. It was first time seeing it for her and she had no relationship to the first Top Gun movie, didn't know anything. First like hour or so, I was kind of like, is this movie as good as I remember it? I think so. I think it's still pretty good. I'm enjoying it, but like, let's see how it goes. The last hour plus is so good. And so well choreographed climactic action scenes by the end and the music is swelling so much and I'm just like trying to hold back tears. And she's just like, yeah, that was fine. That was wow. as good as I could have expected. Yeah. I was impressed how well it brings it home at the end. I do think that's part of the reason why it became so popular is because the emotion that it hits you with at the end is so strong and it's hard not to kind of walk away from that and want to tell everybody about it. Top Gun is clearly moving on. Let's see what one of our listeners had to say before we see the round three matchup of Top Gun versus Athena Olin Allen. This is Olin Allen from Summer in Ireland and my favorite picture of 2022 is Benediction! A tale about a World War One poet that is so in my zeitgeist. I thought it beautifully melded the repressed nature of the character and all the battles he had to face while surviving the main battle of coming through World War One and that kind of being a lugbear on his back whilst his friend and the other magnificent poet of the era, Wilfred Owen, didn't quite have the same outcome, but legacy-wise probably excelled our main character. As for what I think will win, Top Gun Maverick, it will get through the rounds, maybe a few um, 2v1 votes. Feel certain ways about that. So Olin Allen's pick didn't make the bracket, but uh, I guess his ride or die pick Top Gun is going right into the third round versus Athena. Top Gun Maverick's in my top 10. I had a great time with it. I'm not like an airplanes guy, so I'm impressed. Like I'm impressed in Avatar and like, oh, they did something sort of new in terms of how they make movies. But it doesn't really get me excited. The fact that we're watching jets fly around and twirl around. I agree with John that the first two thirds of the movie asks us to care deeply about Maverick's lack of relationships with like women and with his sort of, I guess, uh, pseudo son, Goose Rooster. Lack of relationships with his old uh, rival, now his friend, you know, who... At least for me, it was kind of cute seeing Val Kilmer there, but I, I didn't really, I didn't care about Maverick's lack of relationships, which the movie desperately wants us to care for a long, long time. I wasn't emotionally impacted by the ending, John. I was excited by what I was watching, but I was never crying tears at the fact that Tom Cruise survived and the good guys won because I was so sure that was happening. Again, I was really fun to watch and I'll rewatch it and have a great time. 
but I wasn't engaged two thirds of the way through. I wasn't emotionally affected by the end. Athena does things that I completely wowed me. The lights in it, the sound ending is a bit underwhelming. I think in Athena, it takes away a bit from some of the social critique, but power in the cinematography and the way Athena communicates the movie. So I'm going to go with Athena over Top Gun. Yeah, at the very end, I do think it undermines a little of the movie if there's like a, a thing to point out, but it is visually incredible. But the Top Gun Maverick, I think, is like visually incredible too. So, but um, Top Gun Maverick, like it should not be as good as it is. I watched the first Top Gun, which I had not seen before I went to go see Top Gun Maverick. I really didn't like it. And so I was like, I don't think I'm going to like Top Gun Maverick. And then I loved Top Gun Maverick. To label it just a blockbuster, not that anybody here is doing that, to just do that, I think. Think would be doing a disservice to Doc Maverick. For me, the ending works really well. It's building off a story from the first movie, and the first movie I didn't really like to get me that invested in Maverick and, and Rooster. I thought was really good. So I'll vote Top Gun Maverick. You said you're not a plane mm -hmm. movie. Glad that plane sequel that got announced is just going to be about a ship. ship. Rather than planes? Yeah. So there's going to be whales in that we, one also. Yeah, that's right. I saw we just before we popped on. John, which way are you going? Athena versus Top Gun. We're going to make it Top Gun Maverick going on to the... Uh, Final um, Four. Just, yeah, the most fun I had the movies for sure. Athena, I think, had a nice little run here. Hopefully people give it a chance if they haven't already. I'd Getting like into the lead eight of the World Be Pod bracket is yeah. Uh, yeah. an accomplishment. No sweat on Athena. It's great to have you here. John, just before we start the corner with Obstinensky, if you want to give any words of intro about yourself so listeners know who you are, is that necessary? <laughs> uh, well, you know, you, you might have some new listeners. I used to be a regular on this podcast. My life got out of the way. Took a toll not just on my podcasting, but my movie watching in general, which used to be quite prolific. When I uh, sent my list of my favorite 60 movies this year to the 32 fans group, somebody asked if everything was okay because I had only seen <laughs> 60. I think all of us tend to say that even if we see more than 60, we usually find that 30, 40 at tops, maybe 50 of them, movies we really like. To the extent you only really maybe want to watch movies you'll end up liking, 60 doesn't seem like a bad number. I think I saw maybe about 70 this year. John, I don't know about you. It's not 70. It's probably closer to 50. There's people who watch like four movies the whole year and think they saw a lot of movies. Um, <laughs> when I'm watching movies throughout the year, I like watching just on a weekly basis, you know, keeping up with what's interesting. That's like when you have those opportunities for like those diamonds in the rough, like not so many other people saw. When you see only quote 60 movies i was really just building it off other people's end of year lists it mm -hmm. leaves less opportunity to find those like hidden gems i think i still got my arms around the field culture of the movie year even if it was in a, a very condensed time period this year uh where would you make the decision based on price versus seat location in the new amc oh, theater policy? you're really dating this uh record <laughs> Yeah. I can't see myself paying much extra for premiere seat location unless it's like really for like that opening night Marvel movie. Beautiful. Before we get to the first proper matchup, we have Babylon, the Damien Chazelle movie starring Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. 1920s, roughly, I believe, Hollywood. It has to make it through a playing round with Elvis, the biopic of Elvis Presley starring Austin Butler and directed by Baz Luhrmann, which... This is not a particularly close matchup. I had an opportunity to see, if I want to use the word opportunity, Elvis over the weekend. I had planned to skip it because I don't really have much interest in Elvis and heard it wasn't that good, but then it was nominated for Best Picture and even I am not above the policy, so I had to see it. Um, <laughs> 
I made it about say halfway through before I lost interest. First and foremost, I just like could not stand the framing device of this movie through the lens of Tom Hanks. Such a bizarre choice into yeah. the most famous performer of the 21st century. Biopics now, especially the musical ones, like they're trying to kind of reinvent the wheel a little bit and not just, you know, start with him out as a kid. It's Elvis. I'm interested in learning about him, not about this guy I never heard of. I just found it was just like very much. And then he went on a tour to here and played a song. And then they go on a tour to there and play the song. And I was like, all right, well, I get it. I assume he's going to die at some point and that's going to be confusing for people and mysterious, but I didn't get that far. So Babylon had parts, not just my favorite scenes of the year, but up there with some of my favorite movies of all time. It has that energy of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, of Boogie Nights, of Goodfellas, like some, you know, mm-hmm. four to five scenes in this movie that were off the charts for me. It did not quite coalesce into a complete whole, which is why it's further down my list this year than it maybe would have been. So this is a blowout to me, and I'll uh, put my support behind Babylon. Babylon is the very last movie I watched for this bracket. John and I thought, okay, we're going to make the all-playing of excess versus excess. You know, Elvis is just way over the top as Lerman. Babylon <laughs> is supposed to be way over the top Damien Chazelle. And we'll throw those two crazy movies together, and then whoever makes it out will just go up against an also super crazy movie from earlier in the year. Babylon was by far the biggest surprise for me of 2022. I absolutely loved this movie. I was not expecting that. The best parts of Babylon, and I generally agree with Av, is not the excess. It's not the debauchery. It's not the crazy party scenes. It's not in-your-face camera catching things you may not otherwise want to see. Best parts of Babylon, and I agree, some of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie are the quieter scenes. Someone watching a movie at the very end in a theater. Because I think if you're a fan of the movies, this, as I've said, will be a movie that will stick with you for many, many years. So to me, easily Babylon. Babylon, having defeated Elvis, is going to go up against one of the most critically acclaimed movies of the year, which Babylon most certainly is not, in the form of uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the number three overall seed in the bracket, directed by the uh, duo known as The Daniels, starring Michelle Yeoh, the biggest financial hit ever from the uh, studio A24. First A24 movie to uh, exceed $100 million. That's awesome. And, and it's not uh, even I, the best A24 movie in this corner of the bracket. The Sammy showed his cards a little bit here. E-E-A-A-O v Babylon Battle. <laughs> There is a audio clip from a listener that we can check out regarding uh, the Damien Chazelle uh, movie Babylon. Babylon is a miracle of movie making. The final scene also reaffirms the idea that film itself is a remix of traditional paint and canvas. That montage shows how cyclical all of this will be. Everything that's ever been painted, told, shot has been done before. The only difference is the artist holding the brush. And acknowledging that doesn't mean that Damien Chazelle doesn't believe in movies or that they shouldn't be made anymore because of problematic or cyclical elements of the industry. To the contrary, Babylon exudes that movies are forever. That movie making is magic. So that was Griff Schiller, host of Film Speak. Besides his evident passion for Babylon, what I love is that he highlights the matchup going up against number three, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's also a movie about remixes. Babylon ultimately says that every story that could be told will be told many times. And yet it's ultimately the relationship and how you treat other people that is meaningful. I'm certain that's also a message that the Daniels 
we're trying to tell and everything everywhere all at once. Babylon, as you said, is about sort of once upon a time in Hollywood, but set during the 1920s movies going from uh, silence into talkies. Damien Chazelle sets it up that Singing in the Rain is based upon his characters. The big finale is someone is literally watching, Olive, is that correct? Singing in the Rain in the theaters, which came out in the yeah. 1950s. Character is watching Singing in the Rain and then they get flashbacks to the entire movie, the story of their life in the 1920s. And then they also sort of get a flash forward to every significant sort of movie moment that's happened in history through the year 2023. We get clips from 40 different movies of over the course of two, three minutes. Half the movies in this bracket show up during yeah. that clip montage. I thought it was like a great short film. I wasn't sure it quite landed in terms of just sticking that onto the end of that movie. I enjoyed myself as I was watching it, but it was like kind of like shrugging my shoulders the whole time. Like, what is he doing right now? Well, Ab, what he's doing is ambition. This is ambitious movie making, like almost nothing we've seen this year, which is why I love this matchup because not only is yes. this matchup hectic movies, but they're both very, very ambitious movies. I'm going to vote for Babylon, and it's very, very close for me. Both of these movies are in my top five. The reasons I'm going a bit more for Babylon touches on almost every single movie in this bracket. The exploitation of Nope, Star Past this Prime of Top Gun. It has the shit shoveling of the Fablemans. It has the ego of Tar. It even has, you know, the blue aliens and all the rest. The second is the ambition. The third and the last reason is that movie got a bit of a bad rap. I think people were too obsessed of by the opening debauchery, which to me is really irrelevant to the, the story. It's close, but I'm going to give the slight edge to Babylon, which I would love more people to get eyes on and get excited. The highs of Babylon are higher than the highs of everything everywhere all at once for me. A shame that more people didn't see it in the theater because it really is it's a movie that demands being seen on the big screen. Maybe those scenes of the Sharif, Sammy, you would have appreciated them more, kind of see the scale of them. There were just like scenes in this movie that I, when I saw in the theater, I was just floored by. The presence of female artists in Hollywood history. I'm not a 1920s movie expert, but one of the leading directors of the 1920s was a young woman. So, you know, there was a lot there in terms of Hollywood history. The way this speaks to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with <laughs> the same actors basically doing, you know, slightly different right. roles. <laughs> we have a scene of Margot Robbie going to watch herself in the movie theater. Which yeah, I love uh, right out of uh, <laughs> My favorite movie of 2019. It was very interesting to me to see that scene kind of like set in the 1920s. It really made me think the way that technology shapes like the perspective of the performers. You know, as movies became a more prolific thing, like that was like the first opportunity that performers had to like actually see themselves on screen, like and see see themselves perform. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a movie that like I somehow feel like I'm down on because I only had it at the top of my top 10 for talking about it, the best movie ever made. And I don't really see that. It left me feeling like a little hollow at the end. I thought it was like the ending and like their attempts to make you feel emotion were a bit saccharine wasn't as invested in any of the characters other than the comedic element this was a movie that like i thought was like a ton a ton of fun i haven't really thought about it since i saw it i would still put it ahead of babylon just because i think it's a more complete whole despite babylon's higher highs we actually have two different flips here the hit play and and we'll listen to them <laughs> okay maybe this can help influence the tiebreaker here for you yeah maybe it will brothers. maybe it will Hello, There Will Be Pod listeners. This is Jim Crumley. I'm picking everything, everywhere, all at once as my favorite movie of the year. Brings so many things together. It's a family story, a love story. It's got action. It's got science fiction. It's got puzzles. It's got cosmology. It's got a comeback story for an actor. How could you not love everything, everywhere, all at once? I hope it goes far in your bracket, and I'll be rooting for it at the Oscars, too. Thanks. Passion Plea from Jim Crumley. 
Yeah, Mr. Crumpet himself. I uh, am going to go with everything everywhere all at once. I really feel similarly as Av does about it. And so I'm I'm kind of curious now how this is all going to play out. I did find the movie really good and unique, but I also found it kind of exhausting in the same way that I find a lot of like one take movies exhausting, you know, or wanted a few minutes to breathe. And this movie doesn't really give you that so much. It's not in my top 10, but it's close. My but number everything... three is going out to a non-top 10 of John's. That, that hurts. Well, that's what happens. If Damien Chazelle made this thing like 2.15, did not have time for a three-hour movie, I rewatched Top Gun instead. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know what movie's not getting my vote now for Revenge? You, you've earned your anti-vote Top Gun by, by virtue of taking down Babylon. We're doing yeah, revenge no, I... voting now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Our next first round matchup is number 14, which is Jordan Peele's Nope. And it is facing against number 19 on the count of three. But this is like the Jared Carmichael movie. We have an audio clip for this first round matchup also. This is Jordan Peele's finest work today. Compared to his previous films, I think his ability to convey information through visual storytelling uh, was really impressive in this film. I mean, even in the first act and the second act and even some of the third act, there's a lot of different emotions and a lot of different pieces of information that are related to the audience through visual storytelling. That was Carlos Diaz, another movie podcast, The Misfit Pond, putting in his vote for Nope on the count of three, two best friends, and the two of them are both sort of at the end of their rope, so they decide they're going to spend one last day together, kind of reliving their high school highs, and then at the end of the day, they're going to shoot each other. This is a matchup, very divergent expectations. So Nope is a movie that I came in being a huge fan of Jordan Peele. Get Out was my favorite movie of 2017. Us was a top five or top six movie for me in 2019. Coming into this, I was like super pumped. I'm watching this movie, keep waiting for something to happen, and nope, 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 nope. Nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> Visual storytelling. Nope sucked it. I, I thought it was trash. On the count of three, I came in knowing nothing. I think Sammy said, oh, this is a good movie to check it out, right from the first scene of this movie. Whoa, what is this movie gonna be? Like, the movie literally starts with two people with guns to each other's heads and they're counting down for three when the you know the opening credits roll and i was kind of just with it for all 86 minutes these two uh these two actors jared carmichael i think the other guy's name is christopher abbott incredible chemistry with each other amazing cameos in this movie doesn't leave like anything unturned frenetic pace beginning to end you end up like loving these two guys by the end you would think between jordan peele and jared carmichael i've never heard of it would be uh lopsided in the other direction but alas nope 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 the opening scene i guess is like kind of interesting it's such a long time to pay off it felt like the movie like you kept like starting again like 10 times you kept being like okay yeah, yeah, here yeah. it is like it's all gonna like start a bunch of like very unrelated uh, yeah. seemingly individual threads come together but it's just almost exhausting to get there in a way that like get out and even us and nope i think is flawed put through on the count of three based off of sammy's strong words for it all year long i'm assuming it's going to be a clean sweep so it's not going to be a clean sweep, though. Uh, on the Count of Three is going to advance. My vote was going to be for Nope, and it is for Nope. Oh. On the Count of Three, I wow. enjoyed a ton. I've recommended to both you guys. It's like next-level movie making. And I think there's elements of Nope which are that. You know, maybe I'm a, a sucker for ambition, as we spoke about with the previous matchup. And therefore, Nope to me is a movie that could have gone all the way. 
and it will not. Uh, nope. Time of three advances, and it faces everything everywhere all at once. I'm leaning towards everything everywhere all at once. It's it's a little strange that I'm becoming kind of like the champion of that movie in this bracket. I'm, like, I'm not like passionate about it. I, I thought it was really great, but it's like I hear other people talking about this movie, and I'm like, did I like this movie? I'm like, I know I like this movie. I have it very high on my list. <laughs> I do think it was more memorable than on the count of three. You know, when a movie peaks in the first scene, probably not the best. Sammy, how about you? I'm going to let Alex O speak for me instead. Hey there, Obi Pod. This is Alex O from the 32 Fans patron group. I just wanted to submit everything everywhere all at once as my top movie of 2022. Super ambitious, swung for the fences, and, and everything about it mostly landed for me. There are some movies that things about them, like some of the actors or production stories, make you like a movie less. With uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, it's almost the opposite, where these great stories of Michelle Yeoh and Kei Kwan and I hope it wins the bracket. I'm going to join with Alex. I'm going to go with Everything Everywhere All at Once on the count of three. I voted against you the first round. I voted against you the second round, but I did vote for two of our co-hosts on this pod to listen to you. Clean sweet for me too. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a flawed movie, but ambition kind of wins out over movies. Don't shoot as high. We will find out what it goes up against soon. We'll jump back to the first round and have a few more matchups before we get there. The next matchup is our number 11 movie which is steven spielberg's the fablemans versus our number 22 movie which we have some audio clips for. funny pages doesn't focus on plot it's a slow-paced film that cares more about its characters and their difficult personalities it's a dark film full of surprising unforgettable performances that will have you questioning what the meaning of life actually is that was from denny o'leary i think a new listener as well who put in his vote for Funny Pages. The Fablemans is Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical story of his childhood and his parents' divorce and how he fell in love hey, with movie making. Hey, hey, spoiling the lead. If you've no seen spoilers. the Steven Spielberg movie, you know that that's what it's about. <laughs> Funny Pages is a cartoonist. They're both just as a young man. They're merging yeah, artists. Yeah, 100%. Very different lessons as to sort of how that path in what a young artist's life will go. A24 movie that you had referenced earlier. And not it's directed... necessarily. Is there another one still? You know, not spoil all the leads in this corner. Uh, this is directed by Owen Klein, somebody I was not super familiar with. The other listener clip we have really went to town on Owen Klein, who likewise I, I don't know anything about. It's you want Kevin me to share? Klein's son. See what uh, Aida had to say. The movie I liked most from 2022 was Funny Pages by Owen Klein. It was set in Princeton, which was a very formative place for me. Humble it's brag. the debut film of Owen Klein, also brother of Greta Klein, also known as Frankie Cosmos, son of Phoebe Cates. His grandfather directed a great movie called Who Killed Teddy Bear in 1965. The movie itself is just great. Very interesting person who made a really great debut film. Do you know any of those Owen Klein family members? Definitely no Phoebe Cates. I just think it's sad that Funny Pages needs to rely on nepotism and connections to make it. Oh, unlike its opponents. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no pulling of the strings with the cast of the Fablemans. Everyone there is someone who pulled themselves up from their bootstraps. Very much so. Funny Pages came out of nowhere for me. Funniest movie of the year. It had very, very kind of distinct characters. And the message of one of the characters, such a necessary lesson in this year of Fablemans and other movies like that, that sort of like to spin a tale of saccharine and how sort of sweet, if you just hold on to your dreams and everything will come true and you'll be the artist you dream of. 
And Funny Pages gives a really necessary reminder that sometimes when you leave your parents' home and you move to bum parts of New Jersey, life doesn't really happen as much as you would like it to, as opposed to The Fablemans, which I shared previously on this pod. Beautiful script, deeply inauthentic at times. I felt I was sort of watching tropes about sort of Jewish family life as opposed to an actual family from someone who I think would know better. So it's Funny Pages for me. I'll take the other side here and leave it for John to decide. Funny Pages, I would say I found charming. Um, I thought it was fine. It didn't kind of really add up for me. I just like a character study, as, as Sammy said. Whereas the Sammy movie, Sammy Fableman, for me, dazzled and taken by this movie. I guess I'm very in the tank for Steven Spielberg, for who isn't he one of the great filmmakers of all time. In one of the first scenes where they're like driving home and like they ask Sammy what he wants for Hanukkah and he answers Christmas lights, I was like, this is already yes. my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> Telling the story of Jews in post-war America hit home for me. Struggles with anti-Semitism. Portrait of this young Spielberg learning the technical aspects of filmmaking, using it to kind of grow up and come of age and use it to its advantage and kind of navigating, you know, tough times in this new school. Epic to me. Tremendous performance in the middle from Judd Hirsch. Steals the middle of that movie. <laughs> Judd Hirsch is the best part of the movie and then he leaves and he never comes back. I don't love either of these movies very much. I guess like what I'm debating right now is do I go with the movie that is more ambitious, disappointed me a little bit more because my expectations were higher or it's the one I also wasn't like super anticipating it. So it didn't leave me disappointed. I guess I'll go with the Fablemans, mm. you know, kind of by a nose. It's just performances I think are going to be more memorable. Like, of course, the cameo at the end, which is really kind of the best part. You are not a podcaster. Uh, you are not a podcaster. <laughs> We're no not a podcaster. This pod is a podcaster. <laughs> Fablemans is going to go to the second round, is going to face the winner of number six movie in the bracket, Decision to Leave, which is uh, the latest from director Park Chan-wook. It is going up against number 27, which is James Gray's Armageddon Time. Armageddon Time is another coming-of-age type movie, semi-autobiographical from the director. Decision to Leave is detective story investigating a man's death detective falling for the sort of troubling widow possible murder suspect park chin Wu, someone who's known for making very violent old boy the handmaiden korean films and so kind of expected a bit more violence film yes. festival a bunch of months ago initially was really taken by it because i think yeah. it's incredible filmmaking the story lost me like 10 times i just didn't feel that there's really a tight enough story there it almost seems like an episodic tv show that's kind of jammed in to a really, really, really well-shot movie. So Armageddon Time is going to be my pick. I'm going to go with Armageddon Time as well, even though I didn't like it very much. Pretty much agree with everything that Sammy said about Decision to Leave. I was like very in it from the start, coming off The Handmaiden, which an astounding movie. Everyone should go see The Handmaiden. I love The Handmaiden so much. When you're coming in expecting The Handmaiden and you get much quieter, much more deliberate, kind of just like loses the thread and I just like stop paying attention and lost interest. Armageddon Time was like fine. It was just like very paid by numbers. It feels like somebody just like made this movie because they wanted to put in like the Fred Trump storyline. So, you know, that would bring people in. When they introduced him, I was like, is this really what we're doing here? And then like, that's like the rest of the movie. I wish that they didn't even bother because I felt like a jarring. Oh, I, I thought it just like sucked up all the oxygen. They came in. They're not all over the movie, but like they're in a number of scenes and kind of felt like the compulsion of the movie. I felt like the weakest element of it, but ultimately I, I still think Armageddon Time is a really strong movie. Armageddon's going to advance in a sweep. I think it's the matchup that listeners have been waiting for ever since we decoupled Fablemans and Armageddon Time from the same ep episode because we split them <laughs> between November and December. 
And that's Fablemans yeah, versus think, Armageddon Time. It seemed like the Fablemans and Armageddon Time almost have a shot-for-shot shot matchup. I mean, the same dinner scenes, the same in-laws versus mom scene. You know, there's so many similarities between the two of them. And I think that's where Armageddon Time really shines because there's an authenticity to the family interactions in Armageddon Time. Fablemans, I agree with you, Ab. Some of the script is beautiful. Some of the sort of messages about movie making, some of the cameos toward the end are fun, John. Fablemans need the relationships of the family members. It For me, it just didn't feel authentic. The lines didn't feel authentic. Felt like people were being instructed off camera by Steven Spielberg. Okay, that's what my mom did. Go do that. Or that's what my dad did. Go do that. As opposed to Armageddon time, I was wowed by the parents, particularly between the son and his relationship with oh. his dad. Dad loses his temper on him. Later on, when his dad sort of admits at the funeral the importance of his son to him. And this is not even getting into the Trumpiness of it. It's not even getting into the relationship with the young African-American boy at school. And therefore, yeah. Armageddon time. Easy vote for me for the Fableman. In my top five, Armageddon time, nowhere close. The Fableman's just like really, really worked for me. I did like, I remember when I walked out, I said, this movie has flaws, but I don't care. I loved it. Spielberg with manipulation and, you know, the, the things that he does that make his movies work, but also sometimes make people roll their eyes at his movies. To me, this was just like the culmination of 40 years of movie making, and I was totally there for it. I am going to put Armageddon Time through. For me, The Fablemans, it has Steven Spielberg written all over it, not just in the like the way that it's filmed and the music and all the collaborators that are doing the things that we've seen them do many times and still doing them well. You almost have to watch that movie and know like, hey, this is Steven Spielberg, director of Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and Catch Me If You Can and so on and so forth. And this is his childhood. And Armageddon Time, it's a great story about Vellop's characters and a specific time and place. And if you're removed, knowing that it's about the director's childhood and the Fred Trump piece of it, this is just a really great original story. And I don't think The Fablemans is. I feel like The Fablemans never escapes the trappings of its Steven Spielbergness. Which one gave you better insight into the Jewish American experience in the 20th century? Probably The Fablemans, but I don't want to like read too much into that and say that either movie did exactly that. Very fair. Of the shit you failed to shuffle from the elephant in Babylon has come home to roost uh, with Judd Hirsch's <laughs> The Fablemans. I saw the Babylon and it immediately started with the character trying to work his way up in Hollywood, having to shovel elephant shit. I was just like, no way, Judd Hirsch, no way. Like, <laughs> you saw everything in 2022 movies. Armageddon time and everything everywhere all at once. The last listener clip we got for this corner of the bracket. Yeah, for a movie that is not in the My favorite movie of 2022 was actually the first movie I saw in 2022. Tinder Swindler. I think it's the movie where I just enjoyed every second so immensely, and I was shocked by the continuing developments. Also, I think it's been a rough year for Israel, and I'm proud that there's one native son who's really making a name for himself in the world. That was Chichester, who people may remember <laughs> from his uh, breaking down physics movies in the past. I yes. saw Tindler Swindler with him in the beginning of the year. He was still living in my house at the time. A lot of stuff has happened in 2022. He no longer lives in my basement. Tindler Swindler. Coming after the Fablemans and Armageddon time, another legacy, I suppose, of uh, not Jewish American life, contemporary Jewish life, unfortunately. I don't know if either one of you guys enjoyed Tindler Swindler as much as Shy. Tindler Swindler is a movie about the anti-Semites and Fableman being right. <laughs> it came out like in January or so on Netflix. It was the movie talked about, you know, 48 hours or so, the way streaming works. Yeah. It was also, I think, when the, the Anna Delvey show was all the buzz. Mm -hmm. So like it kind of just shared a moment with that a similar subject matter. Yeah. Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> and Armageddon time.
Yeah, a uh, classic three versus 27 bracket matchup. Yeah, everything everywhere all at once. The daughter character doesn't really work as the villain. She's not interesting enough. The humor is all based on really non sequiturs. It's constantly sort of switching back. And then that's kind of the funny joke. And yet a movie that puts a butt plug bondage and chiropractice into sort of the core of the storyline. I respect that a lot. Reminds me of times when my wife over the last few years would have had some difficulties and she said, you know, don't you wish you could have married someone else and avoided all of the challenges, you know, of us trying to have a family together. And those are the most emotional, those are the most moving beats of everything ever all at once. Actor who plays the husband. To me, he's the heart of this movie. He's the one who really makes the movie work. He brings sort of a, a humanity to the story in a similar way as Father in Armageddon time. Fathers in both movies maybe are really the ones who power it through. And yet I remember everything everywhere is father, even though I can't remember the actor's name, a bit more. The actor you're referring to is Ki Hui Kwan, who... Yeah, uh, that's a name I should remember. If you haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, you might know him from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and the Goonies. Is um, he going to get revenge for Spielberg on Armageddon time? We will see. Oh, interesting. I'm going to stick with everything, everywhere, all at once as well. Sammy, the movie you've been celebrating it, but... for three rounds of. I really like this movie a lot. It has like a silliness to it that I don't think we've talked about enough. It's like absurd humor. One of the really just most touching moments of the year in, in movies is a quiet scene between two rock, kind of like bowled me over in a movie that I did not find very emotionally resonant outside of that. The absurdism, building a movie around the IRS as the enemy is always going to, you know, hit. It was just like, tons and tons and tons of fun inventive and creative in a way that you just rarely see original movies these days very happy to see it in the final four i think it's deserving so everything everywhere all at once is going to move out of this section of the bracket much to my chagrin because i voted for armageddon time in the final there but it's funny we all tried to take a crack at everything everywhere all at once at one point <laughs> but none of us could rally the consensus necessary to make it happen like skates through on a bunch of two to one votes we'll see sort of what damage it can do when uh round out the final four daniels are still alive and moving on uh before we uh, say goodbye to you what are you most excited for in 2023 at the movies i'm very excited for the new uh, mission impossible movie very excited for bradley cooper's this leonard bernstein movie even though i'm not interested in him after bradley cooper's first movie i'll be very excited to see what he does next is it going to be sort of a rebound year you think for you with movies I, overall, I kind of felt like this movie year was not top-heavy. I did an exercise. I went through kind of my favorite movies of the last five years. And the movie that is my favorite movie of this year, which is The Menu, would not have been in, like, the top ten for many of the years in the top five. The very top of the year, I think, is, you know, doesn't compare to some of the years past. I don't think there were, like, those masterpieces this year. We had a masterpiece in Babylon, but it stayed in the first round as a loser. <laughs> so that is the fate of many a masterpiece. Some of the young artists know in this bracket. John, uh, we'll spin around and hopefully all three of us touch base again in 2023, if not in the sure. final four. Speak to you soon. Not Talk to you guys. Starting the corner, the bottom left of the bracket with two movies about bromances that each in their own way seems impossible to believe what you're watching. Number four, RRR. As a kid, I couldn't pronounce my R's, so I went to speech class a lot. Number 29, the Nick Cage movie, aka the unbearable weight of massive talent. We do, though, have an audio submission for RRR coming from Lee Jutton of the Film Inquiry. Let's take a listen. Hi, this is Lee of Film Inquiry, and my favorite movie of 2022 is, without a doubt, RRR. Unlike 
anything I've seen before. Uh, and it's just unlike, definitely unlike anything else I've seen this year. You know, following the pandemic, I know for some people it's been hard. The idea of getting back into the theaters and seeing movies in person when you can just stay home and stream and watch your DVDs. And like, I love that too. But my experiencing RR in a packed theater full of people who are just cheering and laughing and having a great time just really reminded me of what movies can be and what the theater going experience can be. So that lent a lot to me really, really loving the movie, but it's also a great movie. Got badass, hot independence fighters, teaming up, having a bromance, fighting, dancing. Natu Natu was by far the best song of the year, let alone probably the best scene of the year. Kind of movie that makes you want to stand up and cheer. I've already seen it uh, multiple times and I look forward to watching it multiple times again in the future. Of course, listeners may remember that Lee joined us in another movie bracket, this one devoted to hockey many months ago. RR is an action epic about two Indian revolutionaries fighting the British Raj in the 1920s, colonial India. The director and the two stars all have R's in their name. I believe that's where the name of the movie comes from. <laughs> Rajamuli, Rama, and Ram. Rinse, rinse and repeat or something. I don't know exactly. We can get into that. <laughs> There's I'm a revolt, sure. I think, isn't there? Something in there. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's also yeah. rise and revolt. Yeah. The unbearable weight of massive talent, aka the Nick Cage movie. It's an action comedy drama directed by a Nicolas Cage superfan named Tom Gormican about a caged superfan played by Pedro Pascal that hires Nick Cage to help him write a script. No, not about a Nick Cage superfan, but in every other way, this movie is incredibly meta. I loved it. I'm going with Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I also loved RRR. It's also, both of these are in my top 10. My top 10, as you'll hear through the, this, this bracket, seems to have about 15 movies in it. RRR <laughs> uh-huh. has such obvious gaps and flaws that I think sort of people are sort of very easy to, to kind of dismiss and ignore. Long stretches of RRR, which are just not very good. The movie is like four hours. Grace was saying a bit earlier how like sometimes movies yes, ask yes. a bit much of us. RRR has some of like the highest highs of any movie this year. The bridge scene, the wedding scene is fun. Peak action scenes are great. The peak bromance montage is really cute. Who has the better bromance? I'm going with Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage. Pascal just knocks it out of the park. The scenes between Nick Cage and Nicky Cage are wonderful. Nick Cage smooch is good. I'm going with the Nick Cage movie. I think I got to go with RRR. I mean, I get your point. It's a long movie. It's long. And there are these stretches that are bad. But the highs of this movie are so good. And I haven't watched a ton of Bollywood. I was just so entranced by this movie. I really like The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. For me, it's a little, you know, not great at times. You know, there's scenes that work really, really well for me when they're on LSD. Like, that should not work. And it just totally <laughs> does. Um, yeah, when they, like, think that the people are spying on them. And, like, going over the wall. Like, it shouldn't work. It, it, to me, that's, like, mostly Pedro Pascal is, like, lifting the movie quite a bit i think our is, is so good john which way are you going on the bromance special oh, i keep breaking ties tonight it's wild um yeah. rr wasn't really something that like i responded to so much i do wonder if i'd seen it in a theater if that would be a little bit of a different story unbearable way to massive talent had the uh, distinction of being like my first theater going experience post covid which mm-hmm. is longer than probably a lot of other people's but that was just my journey back, I guess. It does hold a little bit of a special place in my heart for that reason, I think. Pedro Pascal really kind of owns the movie. One of the more underrated comedic performances in a while. How often do we get fun comedies like this? 
so yeah, well that's the they thing. don't make a lot of them anymore yeah rom-coms very... and the buddy comedy stuff is that doesn't really get made these days yeah it was like a love letter to a specific type of movie what you're describing but also in the nick cage way do not appreciate the title i think that that like was a, a tough stuff for a lot of people ended up telling people they should go see the new nick cage movie more often than i said the unbearable weight of massive talent but i am going to put that through the making of the nick cage movie because it's really fun i saw an interview a bunch of weeks ago and the, and the director's like yeah i'm a super fan i just wanted to have lunch with nick cage and that was like the first scene in the movie and yeah. that's how <laughs> the movie sort of came to be so it's a really fun story um number 13 eo versus number 20 cha-cha real smooth eo follows a donkey as it travels across europe taking in the wonder and terror of humanity it's directed by polish director jersey skolominski it's somewhat inspired by a movie often cited as one of the best of all time 1966 robert Bastian's donkey movie called balthazar cha-cha real smooth balthazar. Cha-Cha Real Smooth is likewise inspired by an all-time artistic creation, the Cha-Cha Slide. I think came out in like 2000, to remember. It's directed, written, starring, catered, and completely produced, I suppose, by 25-year-old Cooper Rafe. He actually turned 26 yesterday, I saw. So if you're keeping score, he's still embarrassingly young and talented. It's about a recent college grad without direction that befriends a young woman played by Dakota Johnson and her artistic daughter, that he meets at a series of bar mitzvahs in New Jersey. Cha-Cha Real Smooth is my pick. Grace, where are you going on this one? Yeah, I'm going to go Cha-Cha Real Smooth. I really like Dio. I think it's really cute. But, it, you know, it's tough when, like, your leading actor is a donkey. There's only so much you can get out of the donkey. It's rather heartbreaking. But I think Cha-Cha Real Smooth, like, there was almost, like, immediately a backlash against Cooper Rafe of, I actually find this man very annoying. <laughs> um, but I found him <laughs> quite charming. I found him very relatable, too, as, like, this guy who, like, can't quite... I, I had this period of my life where you just, like, can't quite get it together as so you're, like, working bar mitzvahs and doing, trying, like to see what work, you know, kind of falls in love with this girl. And I love the dynamic there with her and the husband and how the husband mixes into to all this, or like at least like her boyfriend or fiance at the time. I really like uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Uh, so I'll vote for it. So you don't have to break a tie, John. Uh, Sympathy vote for the donkey? Yeah, I'm going to put EO through personally. That's <laughs> <Put it>. fine. <laughs> I have seen Alvazar Balthazar and I think EO might be better. I don't know if that's uh, sacrilege, but I just thought Old-timer. this would be was such a delightful surprise. EO is the only movie that can go head-to-head with Athena in terms of some of the cool like lights at night and some of the trippy mm-hmm. scenes. Uh, much trippier than I expected. We have Nick Cage versus Cha-Cha. This is the hardest call for me so far in this entire bracket because I like both of these movies a ton and I think they both really, really speak to me but in very, very different ways. Both movies are really about a life crisis. One happening post-college and one happening in your 40s about your career and about child raising decisions. And I guess I'm myself caught between those two midlife crises, at least in terms of my age. And therefore, it doesn't make this choice any easier. Ultimately, what does swing my vote, though, is Dakota Johnson. What she manages to capture is this really beguiling target of attraction for the protagonist. And it's something that I imagine, I know I particularly really connected to that experience of desiring someone and feeling like the relationship is almost at the tip of your fingers, feeling like this is a special relationship which can change your life. And yet maybe what changes your life is that the relationship is never realized and achieved. And that's what's so important from it. And Dakota Johnson captures all of that so well in her character. And so much of it is just in her facial gestures and in sort of what she doesn't say, you know, what what wasn't given to her in the script per se from the director. That said, I give Cooper Rafe so much credit as well. Not so much for his acting next to her, which I think he does a great job, but in his directing. I mean, given that, you know, he's a 24, 25-year-old director and he's managing to 
elicit these kind of all-time performances from his co-stars, including someone as veteran as Dakota Johnson, you know, someone who certainly hasn't been great in some other movies, Eyes at You, Fifty Shades of Grey, that speaks, uh, you know, volumes about the director. So I'm going to give the slight nod here to Cha-Cha, but both of these movies for me could go all the way. I'm going to go Nick Cage. Cha-Cha was fine. I felt like I saw so many at the end of the year, and that was one that just didn't pop in the way that Nick Cage movie did because I saw it earlier in the year when there's not really much happening in theaters. I liked that more. I had a better experience with it overall, more memorable like moments and scenes and performances. So I, I'm definitely going to put that through. Yeah, I think I'll go with Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. One is very much like, this is a com- this is a silly comedy. Right. I do like Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz as like the CIA agents. They're quite fun. Chacha's really strong. Again, the period of your life, young adult. The fact that he can like translate that so well and being like, you know, 24, 25 when he made the film, I think is impressive. But yeah, I'll put Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent through. Nick Cage will move on. Let's see who it's going to face. Two movies about relationships. Number 12, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, versus number 21, Paris, 13th District. Good Luck to You, Leo Grand stars Emma Thompson as a recent widow that hires a prostitute named Leo Grand, directed by Sophie Hyde. Paris 13th District is the other French language movie about another neighborhood in Paris. In this one, contemporary 20-somethings are figuring out their love lives. It's directed by Jacques Adiard. The director is Jacques Adiard. He's made a bunch of really good movies. He won the Palme d'Or, I believe, for a movie called Deepon Profit's really good movie he did as well. I didn't have such deep connection to this movie. I know that you were a lot higher on it than I was. Good luck to you, Leo Graham. Just spoke to me more. So I'll put that one through. Probably the first time ever in There Will Be Pod History. I'm going to give a sympathy vote for Paris 13th District, which I think would have been my uh, <laughs> choice. Open matchup. Uh, but because these two are pretty close for me and out of respect for the fact that I don't think if we go to the audience on this one. You put them on your 32 best movies of the year. I will watch this, but I just have not watched yeah. it Yeah, I'll give the slight nod to good luck to you, Leo Grand, even though on pure merit for Paris 13th District, it's not an outstanding film. The way in which it captures contemporary 20, 30-year-olds trying to figure out their lives and, and their romances and the way it sort of interweaves the stories, the romance between them. She's not a sex worker per se, but you go to this like YouTube mm-hmm. channel, pay her money, send her digital money and then she takes off her clothes on screen or whatnot like her a cam worker with... is that right a cam- yeah she's a cam worker exactly yeah. yeah there was a lot there but look leo grand is great and emma thompson really puts her stuff out there in numerous ways so good luck leo grand is going on number five tar verse number 28 weird the al yankovich story <laughs> a matchup you knew was coming the all accordion matchup the last round one matchup tar is about the fall from grace of a brilliant female composer played by kate blanchett directed by todd field who is basically known for making amazing movies that rarely come out last one was little children in, in 2006 weird is the biopic of al yankovich it's really more like a parody musical biopic it uses a college humor gag trailer from years ago to imagine a fictional version of weird al's life daniel radcliffe rocks it in the title role evan rachel wood is even greater as madonna eric apple comes back from having made that college humor gag 10 years ago to make a full movie there's a lot of weird going on here the character of tar listening to weird al and judging it accordingly (laughs) which would be kind of an amusing thing my pick is going to be for tar which i hope to talk about more in the next round weird is so fun when you realize what they're trying to do i watched this movie at like 10 a.m during tiff first thing i wake up in the morning like get down to the the theater and we're all just watching weird and as it slowly starts to like as you realize what it's 
doing. It's so brilliant. It seemed like satire music biopic. Like I loved Walk Hard, uh, the Dewey Cox mm, story, but yeah. this sort of is in the same vein. It's so stupid the whole time, which like is exactly what it should be. But I don't think any movie sort of better represents the time right now as Tar. I don't love the ending of Tar, the weakest part of the film, but everything leading up to that point is like so timely and relevant uh, and so good. I'll vote for Tar. Uh, clean sweet for me. Ultimately, like it didn't quite live up to my expectations, which were probably unreasonably high. But it's a movie I have enjoyed talking about more than I probably enjoyed watching. I felt like that was one of our most sort of interesting conversations, Sammy, and talking about it with other people, too. It's just there's a lot of meat to chew on. Really admire that about other movies I've loved this year, like Top Gun Maverick. And there's not really much to say besides, hey, that was awesome, wasn't it? So I think Tar, you know, I'll put it through one of the films of the year, even if it's not one of my favorite films of the year. Daniel Radcliffe and Evan Rachel Wood, give them a lot of credit. because They don't say anything about weird in there, but that's like a yeah. really fun movie is way better than it probably should be. There's a lot of movie call out. They've really kind yeah, of had fun and you can tell that everyone is really not just having fun, but like being like, okay, let's bring our A game or like our, you know, B plus 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 game to this. Good luck to you, Leo Grand versus Tar. Round two matchup. I'll lean in here a bit about Tar, the way the title to play upon her name, because is that really the character's name? Is it really trying to spell out the fact that it's art? You know, T-A-R-A-R-T. Is it really that it's a rat? A-R-A-T. A I bunch saw of someone being themes. like conductor. Is that right? That can't be right, right? I've never heard that. <laughs> it can't be yeah, right. There's the Avatar. I think there's so much that invites a rewatch. I mean, first off, you have a Titanic lead role. I mean, Kate Blanchett, I know she's got yeah. a lot of credit for this. It's just so fun to watch what she does with this. And there's so many layers and subtleness and and the director gives her so many different ways to portray her arrogance her weakness her what drives her how much is she really as horrible a figure as society may be portraying her or is there sort of a bit more kind of goodness there the music is done really really well not so much you know i'm not a classical music person i wasn't like won over by bobovin figure in ireland might say the needle drops and all of that in between sort of accenting the horror and some of the imaginary nighttime dream sequences part of the movie is being filmed by the red-haired woman and the red-haired woman's kind of impact on the movie i just felt it does a lot and all of that is not even touching on what john said which is the messaging of this movie and finally funniest scene of the movie is the accordion lash out scene in tar where she just kind of like loses it on her neighbors and mm -hmm. starts like playing the accordion at, at you know highest volume weird owl even though he lost to tar appreciates that he lost to a, a stirring accordion <laughs> performance mm -hmm. So Tar is my strong winner over Good Luck to You, Leo Grant. I mean, I echo everything you're saying. I think it's like shot beautifully, but also the idea that it's asking. That's what I was saying about like it being such a timely. If you do things that are morally not great, you're brilliant at your craft. Like what is the line that in which we let that happen? What point are you no longer fit to sort of be in that role? How much can you sort of get away with? I don't love the end, but I kind of get this idea that it's, did you actually lose any? She did. How much do you actually lose at the end of the movie if you're like, doing that it's like embarrassing for her but i don't know how much she's still like living a life mesmerizing to watch but then also there's so much there that you can just like keep picking apart and like every rewatch you know we get to see the juilliard scene and then later the way when it comes out it's edited and that's a whole conversation you can have about like how fair mm. is that to somebody who is doing something wrong we've seen the full thing but it's edited in a way that makes it look almost worse and so how fair is that to somebody to do that even if we've seen the full thing and we know it's it's not great he is like asking so many questions the whole time it's really brilliant i'm gonna put tar through also you guys are also getting me like extra excited for it i thought it was good it was a little bit disappointing but i really enjoyed discussing it and here we are discussing it we have two titanic acting figures 
and two Titanic artistic figures going up against each other in the third round, John. Nick Cage, Cage-assance, the Nick-assance, as they say in the movie. Play Nick Dracula Cage, coming up, so yeah. As yeah. Nicky says to Nick Cage in this movie, never question yourself because you are Nick F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F Cage. Going up against Tar, who I'm certain thinks about herself as highly as Nicky thinks about himself. Tar versus Nick Cage, John, where are you going? Trying to stay on the Tar train here. You know, love the Nick Cage movie. I think it just feels too slight here to put it past Tar. So I'm going to go with Kate Blanchett and, and Todd Field here. It's a good okay, run for the bearable weight of massive talent. Getting to the Elite Eight, but it's no Tar. Grace, we have a final four. The menu, everything, everywhere, all at once. Top Gun, Maverick, and Tar. People won this one. Last year, I felt like maybe our choices were more obtuse. These are all like widely seen movies. They're widely admired movies. I think people can debate the merits and demerits of all of them. Grace, 2023, name what you're most excited for so that we know uh -huh. uh, we'll be thinking of it. I'm probably going to be really basic, and, and it's it's probably Oppenheimer. I think I love Nolan. I think he like just messes with my mind in the in the best way. So I'm excited to see what he does. I love uh, Killian Murphy as well. So I yeah, I'm I'm excited for Oppenheimer. Killers of the Flower Moon is the other one that I've just been like waiting for forever. Yeah, yeah, as well, big time. So. Tom Cruise, I'm sure we'll have something to say about that when we come back to the final four. Grace, John, and this has been really great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Grace. That it's always the question that involves the listener. It's never the answer, right? Now, the big question for you is, what do you think, Max? Welcome back to the final four of the World Be Pod 2022 Best Movie Bracket. We have a galaxy of guests joining us. Let's call them out by name. Avsinensky, who joined us as a judge for the Everything Everywhere All at Once bracket. We have Mark who was at one point one of our judges and has gaily rallied uh, to join us now in the final four. And we also have Alex O. So those are the three guests now, Alex, Av, and Mark. Will the finals be the tortured chef versus the inspired Rakakuni? Will it be two domineering perfectionists that society is trying to humble? We are at the final four, which features the number 24 seed, the menu out of the, we'll call it top left side of the bracket. Number five, Tar out of the bottom left side of the bracket. We have number seven, Top Gun Maverick out of the top right side of the bracket. And number three, Everything Everywhere All at Once out of the bottom right side of the bracket. Three of the four are single digit seeds expected to go far. And we have a little bit of a Cinderella story in the menu, if you will. Let's jump right into it because uh, we're gonna do the first yeah. semifinal. Number 24, the menu, number five, Tar. Two misunderstood geniuses with complex relationships with their art <laughs> and their underlings. Both criticisms of how we consume art and our expectations of the artist. And also, I would say, most interestingly, and I'll leave this to, you know, the guests we have, John, to decide, both movies have deep horror elements into them, depending how you read Tar and certainly your taste for horror in the menu and I guess your taste for your fingertips. The menu, Tar, Kate Blanchett, Ralph Fiennes. The menu is kind of like midsummer for a culinary and foodie crowd. Mm. Way more fun than I was expecting to have. And I do like horror films a lot. I do like the realistic nature of Tar. Kate Blanchett is timeless. This was almost like, dare I say, her finest hour. She was incredible in this film. It was a little dry for my taste. It was pretty fantastic. I'm going to go Tar. What about Tar gives it the edge for you past menu? It was more realistic to me. For, I for hope film, so. Realism goes a long way. Even though I couldn't necessarily relate to the characters, because they're very 
high society. And by the way, I'm very disappointed that you guys didn't uh, vote in my favorite film of the year, The Banshees of Inisherin. But that is a reason enough not to vote for the menu. There were like moments in Tower where I was like, wow, this is really incredible, interesting filmmaking. But then it was just like by minute 30 of that scene, I was like, all right, we can move on to something happening here. The menu, by contrast, is literally my favorite movie of the year. So disturbing, so evocative, so thrilling. Just the, the rare movie that we get these days where you just like have no idea where it's going at any moment. I guess at a certain point you do, and then you kind of just along for the ride. But yeah. like that, the first like 30, 40 minutes of, of the menu was my favorite movie going experience of this year by far doesn't i think quite wrap up as tidy as some would like but to some extent i think that's kind of the point I, i've argued with some people about that even if it's not the rest of it works so well that i can forgive that and this is an easy vote for me for the menu alex you are the tiebreaker yeah here. i'm a different alex than alex chester just for anyone listening <laughs> but uh for anyone who has me on letterboxd while i do agree with of that tar has great parts that are better than the whole the menu i think we lost alex so we won't have a vote for menu no i'm joking alex <laughs> i think i'm the lowest on the menu of pretty much everyone i know oh wow alex i um, the reason i was cutting you off there is i thought you were saying the menu and i was disappointed love ray fines i love hong chow it's just i saw it after triangle of sadness and i know it, uh, your first round matchup went the other way but i vastly prefer triangle of sadness in the rich people suck extended universe that's been <laughs> happening lately so yeah the menu really just didn't come together for me what didn't work was it the acting choices was it the way it was set up some of the decisions i like both these movies a lot I was a bit more casual on one of them. I felt the plot never really surprised me much in the menu. Mm -hmm. The characters sitting in the restaurant were more characters than the hedge fund bros and the overly snooty critic. Goes to what Mark was saying about, you know, which is more human. I almost thought the characters sitting around the dining room in the menu, they were so deeply characters that it was hard for me to really relate to them. It never really hit home for maybe the greater message it might have been aiming for, which I guess wasn't really the point of it. It sort of was a more personal story about this very troubled chef and his underlings deciding to go out in a blaze of glory. Then there's other movies this year, like Glass Onion, like Triangle of Sadness, that I think just did it better in that kind of genre. So that's why I get a vote for Tar. I love Kate Blanchett. This is maybe her career high, just for that reason alone. Wow, 2-1 Tar. They're really aiming to do two very different things, these two movies. <laughs> and I feel like they both succeed in what they're trying to do. For whatever reason, I much more <clears throat> responded to what the menu was trying to do than what Tar was trying to do. I, I found Tar like a lot more interesting to talk about than to actually watch. Watching it was sometimes a bit of a slog. When we kind of dive into specific details, I find myself thinking back on it more fondly than I felt at the moment. The menu, it caricatures totally agree kind of the point i don't think they want you to try to empathize with john leguizamo or an old couple or yeah just there for window dressing and to be picked off and fun in interesting ways just this like you know a uh, dynamic kind of real interpersonal complicated relationship that arises between Anya Taylor-Joy and, and Ray Fiennes. Uh, it's going to be tar moving on. I think was one of the best things going for it in the menu and what ultimately didn't work for me enough is that it tries to communicate that ultimately the cast of characters in the restaurant, they accept their terrible, painful, you know, the way things are going to end for them because they all sort of seem to accept what the chef is telling them that they sort of deserve it, that they're sort of cruel corrupt people in various ways even you know the people maybe who aren't so cruel and corrupt like the assistant or you know the the friend of the, of the restaurant critic key thing then that didn't work for me ultimately in the menu i don't really accept the the movie narrative message the thematic message 
that the characters just accept their death because they do they all stop fighting at a very early point they all just sort of accept that okay our night is not going to end the way we expected points that out to all, them right yeah but they all accept yeah. it and the movie wants us to believe that the characters accepting it as some sort of deep moral message about the state of our society characters go from let's get out of here to we all deserve to die. I think he just kind of exposes the whole system for what it is to them. The moment of realization is not even necessarily about any one of their own individual behavior, but the way that they've all kind of like collaborated as cogs in this machine that tears down artists and commercializes everything and ultimately spoils everything. It kind of works for me on that holistic level rather than maybe more as on a, on a case-by-case basis of each person deciding that their life was no longer worth living. It was more just like they were resigned to the teardown of the enterprise that he had ushered in for them. They've been tricked into thinking they're going to get out of this so many times and they are wrong. Inescapable torture and I guess I'm just going to give up. These people have thought this through and I'm not going to get off this island. Just just put on the marshmallow suit. Something <laughs> <laughs> also very true and honest about human nature there as well that the menu captures. As it is, Tar emerges from the left side of the bracket. John, who is it facing? Got Top Gun Maverick, defeated Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Women Talking, and Athena on its way to the final four. And then Everything Everywhere All at Once defeated Babylon, Sammy's favorite movie of the year, On the Count of Three, and Armageddon Time on its way to the final four. The two most kind of kinetic movies, I guess. Let's kick it over to uh, Av. I mean, you were here 30 minutes ago, as you said, for the Everything Everywhere All at Once section of the bracket. Is it going to move on to the finals by your hand, or are you going to give it to uh, Maverick and Rooster? If it does, I think it's not going to be by my hands. Both of these movies um, I thought were really tons of fun, both in my top 10 for the year. Top Gun Maverick, such a thrilling experience to see in a movie theater. For it to be so much more than it had any business being, all this movie had to do was have this group of people show up together and be on screen flying in airplanes. It would have made 80% of the money that it made probably <laughs> done just fine everyone would have been thrilled it would have been great it's so much better than the original which is a pretty incredible feat it was yeah. just like this incredible arc for Tom Cruise like tying together the movies like watching the young uh, goose like embody the spirit of his father in this movie it was really brought a movie theater alive we've all heard now the uh the Steven Spielberg hot mic thanking Tom Cruise for saving the movie industry that might be a little bit overblown but I don't know like he proved that people will come see him the right movie and it doesn't have to be a marvel movie you can make a normal movie if it's the right set of circumstances. normal movie <laughs> well you know what i mean like I just mean. like a regular action movie that like your parents will go see like it doesn't have to be the 70 seconds episode in a string of ip like, no i an, agree it's a whole and again i'm saying that it's like this also is ip like it's, <laughs> so it's like to the extent that that's a normal movie fine as compared to marvel it really just did everything that i look for in a movie going experience and for that it advances really tough call i'm going Going everything everywhere all at once. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, pretty much everything that I said, I pretty much agree with. Possibly the finest big budget blockbuster I've ever seen in a movie theater. I saw an IMAX with my family, parents, and my brother. And we don't see a lot of movies together, my brother and I. Everything everywhere all at once. I was waiting to hate it at every corner, and it, it surprised me constantly. It was bursting with fresh ideas, had so much flair, and ultimately what won me over was just 
the fact that it had so much heart. And so, yeah, that oh, it kills me because I love Top Gun Maverick. But yeah, I have to go everything and everywhere all at once. More inventive, certainly. I respect that. It did a lot for uh, butt plugs, I guess, apparently. It's <laughs> uh, a good um, thing. <laughs> oh, oh, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to have to go with that because i love top gun maverick so much yeah alex <laughs> good thing you you joined us before you break the tie these movies are deeply on their emotional level parent-child relationship as the child mm -hmm. is you know becoming their own adult whether that's a, a multi-verse spanning supervillain or whether that's as a i don't know an ace pilot what's your own alex relationship you're bringing into this movie as a parent were both of these really convincing and really emotional father son or daughter relationships or you just like Kung Fu and the fighter planes whizzing and whizzing around? Well, I'm not a parent myself. Ah! <laughs> I had yeah, no idea. Sorry. I figured like, it's not <laughs> Good try. If I was a parent, speaking as someone's child, <laughs> definitely identify more with everything everywhere all at once. Might not be a shock if I had submitted audio. Play. All the way back in the first yeah. round. This is the same Alex O. Yeah. People can connect the dots. You know, you're getting to hear him mm -hmm. in person now. We heard that, but that was a good uh, 30 minutes ago. So who can remember these days? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> That'll be a 25 on. minute memory. Yeah. Top Gun Maverick is pretty much the pinnacle of that genre of American movie. cinema. Well, you say American. Uh, <laughs> normal here, movies. <laughs> here in Toronto, when I saw Top Gun in theaters, a lot of more older people in the theater than I usually see. And at the end, a bunch of Canadians cheered for the American Navy. So wow, <laughs> that's you know, cool. But everything everywhere all at once hit it out of the park in almost every way it could. Inventive and spanned many different multiversal scenarios which is more than another multiverse movie this year can say struggle to have any parts of it that hold it back from a near flawless movie there's a great line alex where the daniels the director of eao it's a letter from a line where they said you know we sat down and said look if we're gonna make a movie with the death of cinema that i've referred to and corona and everything let's just leave everything there let's just try to knock it so deep out of the park then no one will ever find it again. I'm paraphrasing a bit. I don't know these are the exact words they used, but uh, you really feel that. The movie just breathes that these guys are, I mean, they're going past the wall. They're just like blowing the room up. Past the really... floor if you've seen yeah. the turndown for what music video. It looks like we have a, a two for one. Any um, last thoughts on well... Top Gun Maverick? This is hurting Mark because he started the EAO train. Um, I was feeling the magic in the room. I was with Av there. So I thought we were going to fly right into the finals. It's tough. Um, it's, man, it's it's almost yeah. a coin flip. Favorite it's almost movies. like we're down to the very best movies of the year and it's tough to choose between them. My two favorite um, movies of the year just got knocked out successively. So I'm not I, super I, I was going to say, bad job by John orchestrating this entire bracket of movies I, to the end. And just like letting the listeners take over the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not really how I thought this night was gonna go but so it is four one out for uh top gun maverick in the menu it's, it's not like we don't have a worthy final yeah three yeah. of the best movies of the year plus the menu <laughs> i agree with that but uh yeah well we'll get left out of those three uh in a minute for me both of these i think are really deserving of being the the champion frankly thing ever all at once and top gun maverick i push back only on Ob. i like the first top gun more and that's not to belittle the, the the new one uh the new one is definitely more powerful but the older one the music is fresh the plot is fresh the characters are fresh iceman is fully on his own elements everything all at once tar John said at the top, it's the number three versus the number five. Both of these came mm -hmm. in there, therefore, with a lot of train. <laughs> John, Tar, 
versus everything everywhere. And expecting to necessarily have to vote between these two, I, I'd get one of my other two preferred titles through. Um, my uh, preference for sure is Tar. Tar is my number 11 movie of the year, so it just missed out on my top 10 list. Uh, for me, Everything Everywhere All at Once was like a solid three out of four star movie. I appreciate the inventiveness. I found it exhausting to watch, to be totally honest with you. Another movie that like I kind of enjoy more in hindsight than I did at the moment, sort of like Tar, but I feel like Tar just has more going on for it. I do appreciate for all the kind of crazy energy that Everything Everywhere All at Once has, that it still has like an emotional core that's actually really satisfying. I credit the actors mostly for that. I think Mark, you mentioned it's maximalist energy. That's kind of where I fell off it a little bit. And Tar, despite being a little bit bloated, I feel like it's still a little bit better paced. And the acting, you know, one Titanic performance versus I think a really strong ensemble. Overall, I think the package of Tar worked a little bit better for me than EAAO. So I'm going to go with uh, go with the composer there. I saw EAAO, you know, right around the time it came out. The movies that came out in the first few months was around, uh, you know, the time my wife and I were going through sort of tough moments in our personal life and therefore their emotions and sort of the parent-child relationship. I'm certainly not mad enough to hide the fact that I was sobbing at by the end of everything ever all at once. It really spoke to me. It really it got me. You know, I think they were going to have Jackie Chan. So it was going to be a father-daughter relationship movie. It obviously mm. ended up being more of a mother-daughter. But I think the sort of emotional core and theme of the movie that got to me the most was Kihei Kwan, if I can pronounce the name right, once this uh, year in 2022. Right. The husband, mm -hmm. who actually looks a lot like Jackie Chan, and I don't mean that in an ethnic uh, stereotype way. They have, you know, <laughs> nerdier Jackie Chan, almost like a... Ethan Hawke yeah, to me has always no. been like sort of an, a nerdier uh, Tom Cruise. And so there's sort of like a Kihei Kwan, uh, Ethan Hawke, Tom Cruise, uh, Jackie Chan element going on. Kihei Kwan, I felt that he's really the MVP of everything ever all at once. A romance to him, an earnestness, a sweetness, you know, he really gets to be two completely different characters. This like confident, time-traveling uh, super agent. It's to be this like romantic, cool, collected, tuxedo-wearing, kind of Hong Kong type movie star. And then he gets to be this sort of dear, devoted husband. To me, it's the linchpin of the entire movie, maybe more than the, really the mother-child which spoke to me, but it's more than the rocks, you know, more than the moments of quiet in the movie, John, that I know you said you liked. And he says something to her, like in any world in any time like you would have been enough for me and i remember that really spoke to me when i saw it at the time my wife and i were kind of wrestling with some issues and is this what we really wanted to bring into each other's lives and what have we kind of caused for the other and have we you know maybe caused each other more pain at times than uh, what we had hoped for and everything everyone wants sort of caught that no like it's worth it like it's worth it. what we're building together as, as a couple as a family it's worth it. and that emotion didn't come across as fake there's a lot of movies that aim for that a husband and a wife, a parent and a child. I really, really liked that and everything all at once. And then I saw the movie for a second time. And I saw the movie for a second time just in the past month. And it didn't work for me as well. The motions I still appreciated. It dragged for me. Most of the kung fu moments, I was like, are we really having more kung fu fighting? Do we really need even more of that? I get it. Like, it's an action movie. But I didn't need all that action stuff. The movies just seemed a bit slow at times, a bit overcooked. I still laughed the second time through about the Rakakuni. I still cared about the emotional elements on display. It, it didn't work as well, and I actually was a bit bored at times. I watched Tar for a second time, having seen it, I guess, when it came out, and then again in the last month. And I liked Tar, and I was even more engaged by it, and I was even more fascinated by what Todd Fields has created in terms of the key character of Lydia Tar. One of the things I came away with on the second 
viewing of tar and i'm excited to see tar for a third time and a fourth time because i really think as john was saying that not only is there what to discuss off screen but there's what to sort of rethink about the movie when you've discussed it off screen and then go, gone back in and seen it for another time there's an imposter syndrome that i think is at the core of who lydia tar is as a character and then what kate blanchett is telling us so the movie's talking about power and ambition and gender and sexuality and culture and canceling and all of that but Lydia Tarr is an imposter. We see that toward the end. I mean, Mark, you were saying that you have a hard time even relating because it's all these like elitist figures. I mean, Lydia Tarr of what? She's just a girl from New Jersey whose actual name is what? Lisa Tarr with two R's or something like that? Certainly not Lydia. And, you know, her brother calls her out. Living in this elitist world, you're right, Mark, of classical music, and she's at the very peak of it. And she's about to, you know, get to a threshold that I don't know what it means to play Mahler's fifth concerto. But her true person mm -hmm. is a grungy accordion playing person. She prefers like the cheap dumpy parts of berlin that's where she goes for solace her own original music she never really manages to write and she's constantly doubting herself and finding it too derivative of others her name and her very accent her very voice that she takes on are all acts they're not real it's not really who she is you know she doesn't have this sort of conceited name or this conceited accent and that's why i find the ending of the movie and i've wrestled with the end of the movie john and i spoke about it a few times over the course of the year I actually think the end of the movie is a bit hopeful. Earlier in the movie, she's speaking to that interviewer in the very beginning, and she's talking about teshuva. It actually struck me. I was like, oh, are they going to talk about you know, the Jewish concept of teshuva and how one can redeem themselves? Speaking, and she's comparing how Leonard Bernstein is into teshuva from the Talmud, and she's into this like native Aborigine tribe where we have a different concept of like past and future kind of oh, yeah. coming together. And I think at the end of the movie, like. Todd Fields is giving her a chance to do this teshuva, to fix herself. Because I think in the very end of the movie, when she's standing mm. in that whorehouse, and it's sort of clearly like a, a metaphor for her life as a, as a conductor, and then she sees like prostitute is number five, kind of look directly into her. It's coming to terms in that moment with her sexual manipulation, and then she runs out and she sort of is just disgusted by what she'd become. And then in the end, you know, as we know, she's not conducting for elitist tuxedo wearing uh, snobs speaking to some of the other movies in the bracket including you know the menu but in the end she's conducting for people that she had put down throughout and it suggests that maybe she's finding a way back and i think in a year when there were so many movies about artists and their relationship with art there's almost like a hopeful message that by the end of tar todd fields is suggesting that this artist is through her art going to sort of figure herself out and that's not to say that she can be redeemed after what she did or didn't do to the women and her protégés throughout the, her life. The hopeful note I actually found on my second watch really impressed me as well. Fascinating character. I hope Todd Fields keeps making movies much more actively because Tar is going to be my vote as well. And that means, dear uh, of Alex and Mark. Tar is the best movie of 2022 and winner of the There Will Be Pod bracket. If you would have asked me 20 minutes ago, Av, Top Gun was going to be the winner. I was sure that's the way the I would have picked every movie before I guessed that Tar was going to win this of the four. <laughs> Tar was the last movie of these four I thought was going to make it through. I knew where Av was. I knew where John was. What did you think of this final <laughs> matchup? And uh, which way would you have gone? Because your vote still uh, has merit, even if the, the two hosts went two up on Tar. I'm still going everything, everywhere, all at once. I love the heart of that film. It's the kind of movie that really soothed my soul. It's sweet, it's beautiful, it's bursting with tons of ideas. And Daniels, they swung for the fences and I think they really knocked it out. Tar, on the other hand, it was great, but it was also very cold and clinical. And that's good. I mean, I can appreciate that kind of film style. Like, I think if Tar was a little darker, believe it or not, I think I would, I would go for that. But 
since it's too it, hopeful. It I'm saying the ending um, is too redemptive. Exactly. Too much exactly. And, and Tar had gone for a much darker ending. I might have been on board with it, but for that reason, uh, I need something that's gonna uplift me, creative, something that I could return to uh, when I need something that's fresh invigorating original mark you would have said that before i voted i think i would have voted for everything everywhere all at once <laughs> tar has actually i would have voted for everything everywhere all at once but uh sammy i think you actually made a very compelling point as to rewatchability i don't really have any desire to rewatch uh, everything everywhere all at once got it like it was fun i didn't have the emotional connection to it that many other people did it was just more just like a fun silly movie cool stuff with multiverse and examine different things and it was inventive and creative and i enjoyed all of that um it did kind of eventually kind of just like run out of steam for me and it was just like a little much a little tedious and i don't necessarily need to do that all again whereas tar i think i would benefit from a second viewing going into more of an understanding of what the movie is and what it isn't and kind of paying attention to the the character beats more nuanced than i probably did the first time around as i was still trying to even figure out what i was watching this time i would vote for everything everywhere all at once we revisit where i've now rewatched both of them in the future i may flip on it just like you so it's weird because i usually prefer movies that are more of a gritty reflection of actual life like my favorite movie is children of men tar really is that that sort of dark tar-like reflection i guess of how modern society is and i didn't get the hopefulness out of it everything ever all at once it's what i aspired to actually have exist a multiverse of crazy zaniness but at the core of that is as mark put it heart i don't really think i need to see either of these movies again soon but i would definitely watch everything of all at once more than i would watch tar wow john we really played one on our three guests here because uh it would have well been a, they a played one on me so I, it's, <laughs> it's okay it would be yeah. fun to rerun this in the opposite direction and see how it played out I if, if the hosts voted in the, in the final four and then left and the finals the listeners that would yeah. be an interesting simulation john and i wanted to share our top tens my okay. number 10 is athena Cha-Cha Real Smooth, number nine, RRR, Top Gun Maverick came in for me at number seven, the Nick Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is my number six. Uh, my number 10 was my favorite movie that did not make the bracket. It's Senior, Robert Downey Senior slash Junior documentary. My number nine is Kimmy. My number eight is Avatar The Way of Water. My number seven is Armageddon Time. And my number six is The Batman. My number five is Funny Pages. Wow. Uh, my number five is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. My number five is probably White Noise. The most real life Ooh. movie of the year. Wow. My number yeah. five movie of the year is After Sun. Another so, movie that didn't make the bracket. Just tonight saw a movie that cracked my top five. So oh. Nope was number five, but it's been pushed down. And now it's After Sun as well. Nice. My number four is another A24 movie. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Number four. Uh, my number four is 3,000 Years of Longing. My number four is probably After Sun. Yeah. Oh, wow. Top Gun Maverick for me at number four. Yeah. My new number four is the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio. Number three for me is the best movie of the year. The winner of the 2022 There Will Be Pod Bracket, Tar. My number three is The Banshees of Inisherin. My number three is All Quiet in the Western Front. My number three is Women Talking. Wow, uh, so is mine, which I just saw. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex, we should do a podcast. <laughs> Alex and Av, where have we heard that before? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you need more of this. Yeah, my number two is, for many people, probably the number one of the year, but my number two is Babylon. 
<laughs> of course, everyone's favorite. My number two is The Menu. Gosh, I guess my uh, number two is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Proud runner-up. My number two is uh, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. My number two is one that was not on the bracket, Corsage. The Empress Cece movie. The actress yeah. from... Uh... Cripes. Yeah, exactly. Vicky Cripes, yeah. Yeah. My number one is The Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. My number one is Top Gun Maverick. Uh, my number one, by far and away, is The Banshees of Inisherin. By far. As previously mentioned, my number one movie is The Menu. No surprise. My number one is Everything Everywhere All at Once. John, as you said earlier, this was a year when the top movies were pretty much big titles, very accessible titles, movies that Mark uh, and Av and others, you know, everyone took their whole family to see. Maybe not Babylon, but uh, <laughs> some of the other ones. I went with and, a huge group of people to go see Babylon, and yeah, we all kind of walked out. Yeah, anyway, but yeah. We doubled the box fun. office. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. It was a year when the RRs, the Top Gun Maverick, A24 had a crowd, you know, pleaser with EAAO. That to me was sort of what I'll remember 2022 by, which was led by Top Gun Maverick. Popcorn movies really kind of came and uh, were some of our favorites. You know, 2022 is the year sort of the movies came back um, after one of our former co-hosts said that the movies may be dying in a previous uh, bracket year. What? Um, thanks, guys, for helping us finish off the bracket strong. Tar joins the, the Mount Rushmore of There Will Be Pod best movies of the year promising young women uh, promising young woman portrait nine, of a lady on fire nine, nine days days those are the, the four so far portrait of a lady on fire promising Young woman nine days and now tar welcome to the pantheon tar well deserved i think and you know other people i guess will wrestle with it and hopefully uh rewatches galore how can people catch follow up read more listen talk to mark uh Alvin alex so you know you can find me always um over at uh pretty 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 good with uh sammy's brother alex not this alex or the other alex we're about to start party down season three later this week never a better time than to jump on board thanks so much for having me guys this was great to be back great always to talk to you guys about movies let's see what's up for next year if you want to find me on uh twitter or instagram jenison the g-e-n-e-s-o-n or mark jenison under my real name on facebook i love to talk film i'd love to be back hopefully we could talk more cinema soon john and i would, would definitely love to talk movies with you again in, in 2020 alex you're starting a podcast with all of you guys are stepping into the record booth now uh he needs more alex's as you said the podcast yeah not really on the twitter or instagram but letterbox under a l l underscore i x uh usually commenting in the psr discord or the 32 fans patron groups including movie one so patron of either of those uh say hi unexpected winner from a competitive year see you in 2023